This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side, along with Jeff and Terry. The gang's all here. You're kind of moving away from Ethel Merman, and I'm not sure who that was exactly. That was a mix of Oprah and Ethel. Ooh, do we get a free car? No. Mm. Not yet. Disappointing. Very disappointing. Uh, By the way, speaking of disappointing, President Donald Trump without hope. Hicks. Yeah. You should you should really finish your sentences. He's got no hope. Hicks. Hicks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, another one. Another one. I don't know if she bites the dust, but another one on her way out. I mean, he's uh, this was this is a really big deal. Hope Hicks, who is his communication. Uh, what do we call him? Director. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he won't be able to communicate anymore. Mm. By the way, uh, he's got Sarah Huckabee. He's good. Yeah. He's got his Twitter account still. Ke- Kellyanne Conway will jump in and help out. He, the, he, there's an average of about a hundred days for these communication directors, is what they're averaging. Well, she, she's been involved in other jobs in the Trump oh, administration. She's Trump, Inc., one of his most important people. Three years yeah. of this. So this was another one of her, you know, responsibilities. But yeah, in that position, she's the Trump days. whisperer. They call her. Really? Yeah, she she has oh. some way of kind of calming him down after he gets frustrated and upset, and she somehow helps him keep going. So you said about 100 days? 100 days is the average of a communications director. What is, what is the shortest job you ever had? Huh. I worked at a restaurant uh. here in Provo for about a week. Oh, yeah, no, I, have always, I, I always keep my jobs. <laughs> Not to be rude. <laughs> Members of the White House uh, press corps are concerned because she actually helped them get interviews. Yeah, I bet. Where other people in that position were just absolutely no. She would say no, but then she would also advocate for them with the president yeah. to try to get interviews and try to facilitate her that desk, relationship. Her desk was the closest desk to the to the president's. So she's she was just really helpful and important. Now, here's the question. Do we know why she's resigning? It is. She, they're saying it, just, it had nothing to do with the interview. She just happened to go talk to the House Intelligence Committee. Right? Was it yesterday? Day before? Day before? Last couple of days? It and they and uh, New York Times reporter today was saying had nothing to do with that. Okay. The situation with uh, what Rob Porter, who was the guy that didn't have the security clearances, that was a domestic violence guy. That those accusations were made against him. He was the assistant to John Kelly. Yeah. Uh, and they were her, him, and Hope Hicks were had a relationship of some kind. Right, right. That was really tough on her because she was the person dealing with the media, and she was the main media story at the same time. Yeah. And that she kind wrote of thing. the. She wrote the. Didn't she? She was involved yeah. in some some letter writing during I, after the Trump hotel or uh, when the Trump uh, Tower meeting came out. But that's not something that was talked about because that was during the president. Right, that's right. That's right. Who, so, writes, who writes letters anymore? I hope Hicks. Hmm. Press releases. So hmm. they, there's all these different issues, but she had been planning this, they said. So I had nothing to do with, with the Russia investigation as of Monday or you know, when she testified. But some of that might have been stressful because she's having to manage a White House communications 
agenda while also this whole Russia thing's going right. on, which makes it complicated. So maybe she's just tired of all the well, hassle. And she also – she did just say in her interview that she – I think this – was this with Mueller? That, that that she has told white lies. Yep. This was at the House Intelligence oh, that Committee. Was, oh, that was the Intelligence yeah. Committee. And, and it was characterized by one member of that committee I heard that it was things like people would call and say, is the president there? Yeah, that's right. And she we on the about phone, this. and she would say no, no, even though he's in the next room, which is something assistants do all the time. Oh yeah, she was the assistant to the president. No, my assistant's always like, "Hey, is Matt there?" And she's like, "No, he doesn't want to talk to you." Is that why I never find you in your office? Yes. Mm. See, when they ask me that, I escort them right down the hallway, open the door, sit them in your office, shut the door. I've and noticed then, that. Yeah, that's the You're only a way to do it. Horrible gatekeeper. I refuse to lie. <laughs> horrible gatekeeper. Way. So the white lies comment is. It seems like it's being being blown out of proportion. Yeah, I mean, and now I they're like, "Oh, she told white lies. That's why she's leaving." Yeah. By the way, did you hear President Trump in that meeting with the GOP uh, leaders on guns? Mm. I really like how the president does that. Did you hear what he did? Like he's just like, yeah, he did the same thing with the DACA. Are argument. you afraid of what? Are you afraid of the NRA? Is that what you are? You guys afraid of the NRA? Did you? Are we not dealing with sure. the assault rifle thing? Like in front of everybody, he just calls them all out. He did the same to, thing with the DACA argument, and then two days later <laughs> came back and reversed his entire position. I know, but it's really. But it is fun to watch. It's fun to watch, but it's also because he's just willing to say it. Everybody or knows everybody is, there is afraid of the NRA. Is he up on what his position? should yeah. be and he'll be told that in a couple of days his position though was actually brilliant like again white handguns mm-hmm. 21 you have to wait till you're 21 but you can go get an assault rifle at 18 that just doesn't make sense but and then he goes because we're all afraid of the nra i'm not afraid of the nra i love the nra they're great people but this seems a little absurd sure and then he goes so did you guys put that in the bill and they're like no sir that was <laughs> not in the bill absolutely not it's because you're afraid of the nra anyway um boy he's he's really uh, having a hard go of things, and it's, I guess everyone wants. Everyone just says it's him, right? He's causing all these problems. But to go through as many people as he's gone through. Now he's. I feel bad. Like he's now he really is alone in the White House. Just him yeah. and Melania, Barron, Bannon. No, Barron. Barron. I get there. all the bees mixed yeah. up. Yeah. Bannon's not his child. Bannon had to leave too because he was a different. Problem. Barron's not going to leave, is he? <clears throat> no, Barron. Well. well Barron's there for a while. Let's uh, get to the rest of the headlines. Terry, what else should we be paying attention to? So that meeting you were talking about, bipartisan group of lawmakers at the White House, they put it on TV live because why not? Uh, Over the course of the lengthy meeting, Trump seemed to veer left on a host of issues, advocating for a fix to the NICS bill, which would incentivize states to be more thoroughly to more thoroughly report information to the federal background checks database. Hmm. So it incentivize states to Put more names into the database that need to be on the database for who gets a gun or not. That's a good yeah. idea, right? Uh, it says Senator uh, Pat Toomey of Pennsylvania for um, he called him for what well, for being scared of the NRA. He just looks at him. No, 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 sir. I'm not scared of the NRA. Um, after that, he said he does not support raising the age limit to purchase some firearms from 18 to 21, and reiterated his support for limiting the sale of bump stocks. This is from the president, but the, but he also. There was also discussion of an executive order on bump stocks. Like really? he, he might do something that to well, that level. To, what are we to, waiting for? Well, you know. Just get it done. Sign something. The Trump statement that really got Democratic Senator Dianne Feinstein of, uh, Feinstein of California grinning was when he stated his support for adding a ban on assault weapons to an existing piece of gun reform. 
sponsored by Toomey and Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia. Feinstein was positively giddy. She's like shaking no, her fist, that. like, "All right, we got this." And she was just laughing, and boy, that and then that just went viral. Right. Trump also shot down Representative uh, Steve Scalise of Louisiana when he uh, proposed a measure allowing concealed carry permits to cross state lines be added back to the gun check bill. He goes, you'll never get this passed if you add concealed carry to this, Trump said. He also suggested that authorities be allowed to seize firearms from a potentially problematic individual without a court warrant, saying that it takes so long for a court to get the due process procedures, so he would prefer just taking the guns early, which would never happen because the whole Due process is in the right. Constitution, but oh, that, just that throw that out. Technicality. Now, the crossing state lines with your concealed weapon, different states. Some states have, um, I, I guess you consider looser concealed yeah. carry law. Others have more strict concealed right. carry laws. So now we just want to make it so that you just have the same rule across the whole U.S. for huh. concealed carry. Some states... Yeah, well, I mean, you go from you go from a blue state to a red state, or you yeah. go from a place where there's hunting all over and a, an inner a, a place with yeah. a lot of city. And- States set up laws to reflect their needs. Yeah, and they want these rules just universal, yeah. so you just go wherever you That's want with your gun. That's going to create some issues, causes some problems. There's also, you know, the concept of states' rights. Yeah, which seem to be big with. Republicans at some yeah, point? Yeah, they used to be that way. Is that situational? Is that how Probably. that works now? Um, uh, Politico put this out this word. It says, Trump saying he supports a whole host of positions that cannot pass is good TV, but little more than that. Because this oh. will get to your, your majority Republican Senate and House, and we'll go, no, we're not going to do any of this. What's that about? Yeah. yeah. So it was fun to watch, but we'll <laughs> see where it goes. Special Counsel Robert Mueller is trying to determine whether President Trump ever colluded with WikiLeaks during the 2016 campaign, NBC reports. July 2016, WikiLeaks published a trove of emails from the Democratic National Committee that U.S. intelligence agencies believe were obtained unlawfully by Russian hackers. Mueller is reportedly interested in what Trump knew about the emails, and when he knew it, Mueller's team pointed to remarks Trump made at a press conference in July 2016 when he appeared to dire- directly he uh, appealed directly to Russia, saying, Russia, if you're listening, and I, ho- I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing. And investigators mm. reportedly wanted to know whether Trump made that comment because he already knew Russia had already hacked the DNC or if he was just joking around. Oh, boy. Yeah. It's where joking gets you in trouble. I'm guessing he was joking. That's why I don't do it. Right. Always gets you in trouble. You never joke. You're very serious. Exactly. White House Senior Advisor Jared Kushner has reportedly been become paranoid about his own colleagues in the West Wing after his security clearance was downgraded this week, and his family business ties are subject to new scrutiny. A source cited by CNN late Wednesday said that uh, Kushner believes the publication of a white Washington Post story about his contacts with foreign officials was intentionally timed to coincide with the news of his diminished security level at the White House. The report claims officials from China, Israel, Mexico, and the United Arab Emirates discuss ways to manipulate him through his business ventures. Yeah. Uh, Kushner suspects intelligence officials sat on the information for months and then leaked it to the press when he was already under scrutiny for lacking a permit security clearance. Uh, He says uh, Kushner is said to be under the impression everyone is out to get him, including his colleagues. He has reportedly reportedly privately vented frustrations with decisions of the White House Chief of Staff, John Kelly, to overhaul the security clearance, at times asking, why is Kelly doing this? Mm. Is he out to get me? It's Kelly's fault. Yeah. But, I mean, again, the the concern here is that uh, companies or countries can loan Kushner's company 
that he still has a lot of equity and value in. And they, they've loaned him up to like a third of a billion dollars for properties, like in Chicago and other places. Mm-hmm. And that then so you can't have security clearance if you're that leveraged leverage people can use that against you to get favors and yeah. consideration i mean a third i mean i, I get a third of a hundred dollars a third of a hundred yeah. three hundred and thirty dollars you know that's that's yeah. scary yeah but a third of a billion dollars that's a lot of money so he's you know his hands in the cookie jar right it doesn't mean he's doing anything wrong, but so, you're not going to get top clearance. Some are uh, speculating that he may leave soon to just go join the reelection campaign. Oh, really? Work hmm. there instead of in the White House. Why don't you just go back? I would just go back to my work. Yeah. That Wouldn't could, you? I mean, like, some there's question, a lot of headache around a lot of Some question if he's ever stopped. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's negative. I mean, it's just, you know, there's always questions. Sure. Finally, a British Columbia couple. Uh, oh, before we get to that, West Virginia teachers? Yeah, they apparently had yeah, a, they, they apparently had a deal. Did they sign a deal? Good. Uh, but apparently not all of them are, are agreeing to it. Oh, yeah. They're uh, expected to return to work Thursday after striking a deal earlier this week for a 5% pay raise, but some strikers say they weren't satisfied. We believe the best course of action at this time is to return to school, says the Education Association president, but other groups are, stay, are not going to return. The major sticking point is health insurance. Teachers are demanding a fix to the public employee's insurance agency, which is said to be poorly funded and has resulted in insurance premiums considered too high. Hmm. So they might be uh, – there's some schools might be out for a sixth day in West Virginia. No, oh, they're loving that. <laughs> Except they're going to have to make up all those days. Yeah. Now that works. Usually. They just take it from uh, snow days and they – or they, you know – Extend the well, year in West Virginia, uh, day of celebration. I mean, right. all, all of the neat little holidays that every state has. If if if, if anything is reflective of uh, the University of West Virginia burning couches when you win basketball and football games. Oh yeah, there's couch burning there's day. Couch burning day. This doesn't sound like almost <laughs> heaven to me. Oh yeah, West Virginia. It's pretty mm-hmm. close. Mm-hmm. It's right up there. Mm-hmm. Finally, a British mm-hmm. Columbia couple are demanding Apple pay six hundred thousand dollars in uninsured losses. After they were forced to close their farming business following a devastating house fire that they claim was sparked by a faulty iPhone. Oh. Kathy and Ian Finley believe a a three-month-old iPhone 6 left plugged in to a uh, charging cord somehow heated up and started a fire in their living room in October 2016. Fire officials who found the blackened device were investigated, uh, reported that it would appear that the phone or charger generated enough heat to ignite in a chair that was identified as the place where the fire started. Uh, Everyone is still investigating. Apple is looking into it. They confirmed it's looking into the claim but had no comment. Um, so the, 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 there's, you know, movement to get stuff paid for and things. But the, the thing that they always say is you don't leave your phone plugged in and unattended. No. Don't, and don't leave well, it plugged. Well, really? Who? There's a lot of, I mean, safety that, wise, not yeah, necessarily, yeah. I mean, Apple's probably says it too, just to be safe, but these are lithium batteries. Yeah. Oh yeah. They ignite. Oh yeah. There's been, and so the, the general safety is you don't just plug it in and leave it. And, and they, there's a lot of things I've read. Don't plug it in overnight and just leave it there. I do that all the time. But, but and I go plug, unplug everything dilemma, when I go though. to bed. I mean, it's like an appliance, right? You don't plug in and watch your stove or your oven. They don't have a lithium battery in well, it Well, I know, but, I, but the point is, I guess, we, it's got to be – then let's not use lithium batteries if it's not safe enough that we can't just plug it in and number go one to compla- another room. Number one complaint about electronic devices like that 
is battery life, and then they use a lithium battery because it gets you the best battery life. Right, but that's kind of crazy to think that anybody on Earth is actually going to plug in their phone and sit by it and watch it so it doesn't burn. No, but... this isn't a Samsung. But, I mean, people will plug it in and just... Oof, yeah. You're fired. But just long periods of time, like people will leave it plugged in all day long or leave it for overnight, and then you just unplug it when you go to bed. Well, have you ever... uh, Picked up your charger and it's like really hot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Then you're like, I had a boy. This is this, that doesn't seem right. No. Wait a minute. What version of the iPhone was this? Six. Six. That's the one that I have. Yeah, be yeah. careful. Be careful. That's scary. Um, did you guys? Are you guys good test takers? No, no. Yeah. Sometimes I do really well. Other times I. That's so kind much. of why I guess we're in the arts. Um, but if, so our guests coming up, we're going to be talking about how colleges, a lot of them decided that we're going to make the SAT test optional Mm. and like a thousand schools made it optional. And the whole idea was that then you'd get a, a, a wider swath of people that would go to college because people that struggle with tests or people that come from different parts of the country or different parts of the world would have kind of a fair shot. Well, apparently it's not working out like that. Mm, yeah. Apparently this uh, optional test method that they're using at universities now, it's not creating a better uh, swath of people coming in. And I guarantee BYU is not going to be on that list. Probably not. It's really hard to get into BYU. A lot of people don't know. I mean, it's one of the hardest schools to get into. It's like Harvard. But it's also one of the most affordable. Absolutely. Well, I got in here pretty easy. Well, you're, yeah, you're, you didn't go here. Um, we're talking oh. about the students. Oh, I thought you meant like employment. I had to yeah. get in through the back door of BYU-Idaho. Yeah. And even that was hard. <laughs> even that was hard. So up next, uh, optional test-taking uh, in universities. Is it is it creating the level playing field that we were hoping it would? We'll be talking about it. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Did you know that some colleges and universities have made the SAT an optional part of the admissions process? The hope was that it would expand access to the nation's most selective institutions to groups that had historically been shut out of those uh, opportunities. And so now we wanted to follow up and find out if this decision is working to further explain um, some of the research that they've been doing. Kelly Ox Rossinger joins us. She's an assistant professor in the Department of Education Policy Studies and Research Associate in the Center for the Study of Higher Education at Penn State University. Kelly, thank you so much for being with us today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. You bet. What are what are you finding out? So the idea behind this was that if we if we made kind of uh, testing, I guess their entrance testing optional at universities, and it seems like it's been pretty much adopted by a lot of universities, that somehow that would open up the playing field. Really, it just seems to be making the university's numbers look a lot better because their test scores have actually been going up with with certain people not <laughs> entering their test scores. Is that right? 
That's what we're finding in, in our studies among liberal arts colleges. And so what's interesting is that over the past decade, we've seen this really spread out of the liberal arts college sector into some research universities, into some public institutions. So Temple University here in Pennsylvania is test optional. And so what will be really interesting, I think, in future iterations of research like this is to see, are these findings consistent at these newer adopters, or are we really finding kind of the the same thing that we had found among the, the liberal arts colleges and that it doesn't seem to be benefiting students so much, but is, is actually um, kind of a, a boost for the institutions themselves. Yeah. Is, so I guess the idea behind this, was it, was it just the SAT or was it SAT and SACT as far as uh, the amount or the tests that these universities are saying are now optional? It's both of them. And so... Um, usually when a school goes test optional, it's that they're allowing students to submit either some other bundle of test scores or some other test score. So it could be the SAT subject test or it could be some other measure of a student's sort of academic ability. So it could be a graded writing sample or an interview with an admissions counselor or something like that. Um, but it is, it, it typically applies for the SAT or the ACT and for truly test optional colleges where students can choose to send test scores and not have to submit any materials in their place. It's typically for SAT and ACT test scores. Hmm. Because you, you like the idea really overall of, of having the test optional. You're not pushing against the concept of test optional. You're just saying, is it really serving the purpose that it was intended for? Yeah, you know, I think it's very important, Um, and as I mentioned, these are very well-intentioned efforts. I used to work in college admissions, and so I know that many admissions officers are truly advocates of of thinking about how they can alter and shift admissions processes in a way that will help level the playing field. But I think it's really important to rigorously test any type of policy that's adopted, whether it's a federal, a state, or a college-level policy, and to think about whether it's meeting the intended consequences, so in this case, whether it's improving access to selective colleges, or whether it's potentially having unintended consequences, as many policies do. This isn't the first policy to have unintended consequences, but I think it's really important to consider both aspects of that, um, as this study had done. Hmm. Do you um, sense that, I mean, because there, there, there really is a weird uh, issue going on here because as they've made it test optional, uh, it seems like then only people that really test well and love their tests submit their tests. So the test averages go up, but um, the diversity isn't changing. Are there other ways, though, that we could create the diversity change, other solutions that you have? I wish I wish I could offer something that would be like the brilliant the solution, band-aid. yeah, yeah, to help out. But I I think um, I think there's a there's a number of barriers that low income and that underrepresented minority students face when it comes to attending a selective college beyond standardized test scores, right? So those those are likely one barrier because they they are correlated with a student's economic and racial status, and so we we have to think about that. 
um, as one factor that could potentially limit students' access to the elite college sector. But I think there's a number of other factors that are at play here that we can remove one barrier, but there's so many others in place. And Mm. so um, we've sort of hypothesized, and our our study wasn't intended to test which of these is at play, but um, some potential reasons or explanations for why we're just not seeing a change, at least in the liberal arts college sector overall as a whole. Um, and, And one of those reasons is that race and economic standing likely show up in other factors. That, that we think about in college admissions and that matters. So they might show up in things like grades and the types of course offerings that students have that they can take advantage of in their high schools, um, likely, likely reflects a student's economic and racial background in some ways in the opportunities or chances that they have to be involved in extracurricular activities potentially in some of their recommendation letters, in the ways even that students are crafting the narrative and crafting their applications and putting together their applications for holistic reviews in some ways could reflect social and, and economic standing of students. We know um, you know, there's, there's a lot of people who are available to help students craft application essays, but often low-income and underrepresented minority students have fewer resources to take advantage of of, um, resources that could help them in crafting an application. And so it's possible that that some of these barriers could could affect students' admissions chances. It's also possible, you know, many selective colleges have a high sticker price, and they leverage substantial amounts of, of resources to direct financial aid to students, especially students who have financial need or to minority students. But if students aren't aware of that financial aid and they just see the sticker price, which when students are applying to college, that's all they see. They don't have a financial aid award to look at at that time. Um, that could deter them from even applying, even if they might have received substantial financial aid to attend that institution. Um, there's also like a, a social belonging aspect, and students may not feel like they belong on a campus where there aren't a lot of students who who look they look around, and, and there aren't a lot of students who look like them or mm. have the same um, kind of experiences that they have. And so there's a number of barriers that that students are facing, and colleges are trying to address these in a number of different ways. Um, but I think the test optional movement can address one barrier but maybe isn't intended to to address substantial barriers that exist when it comes to pricing or to students feeling like they fit in on a campus. Um, mm. so, so that's potentially why, why we don't see a, a strong impact here of these policies, yeah. at least in the colleges we looked at. What, I mean, I because I, I see clients all the time that just have they have anxiety and uh, the testing anxiety. And mm-hmm. so there many of them really don't even dare apply to colleges because they don't dare take ter- certain tests. And I mean, there's disability acts that would allow them to, you know, have some method of doing that. But some some don't even accept that they have anxiety. So there's a lot of issues going on that, that mm-hmm. prevent this. What would you suggest to just all the rest of us as parents, as uh, people that are trying to get into colleges or universities, um, what, what responsibility or what can we do just personally to 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 kind of cut through some of this and 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 have the best shot for ourselves. Yeah, I, I think that that's the question we're all trying to answer right now, right? This 
um, there, there's so much stress and anxiety associated with applying for college. I think maybe a couple of, of pieces of advice or things that might be helpful. First is, is that um, when we think about selective colleges, they actually enroll a very small share of students who are involved in the higher education system in the United States. You know, the majority of our students are attending open access institutions that don't have these same selective admissions policies. And so when we think about this college admissions frenzy and, and applying for college um, and, and waiting to hear back from colleges and, and being denied, this is a, a game that many students are playing, and that's one that we hear a lot about. But um, the, many students in our country are, are attending institutions where they're submitting their high school transcripts and a few other materials. And um, by and large, if they meet the admissions criteria, they're being accepted. And so I think it's important to put this into perspective that elite colleges are very important. They play important roles in access and mobility in the in the country, but they they enroll relatively small numbers of students when we think about the overall share of students or number of students who are involved in post-secondary education. Um, but I think for students who, who are submitting applications, um, it, it is important for them to, to be working with the admissions counselors at those colleges and to build relationships and to um, work with them to figure out how they can craft an application that, that reflects who they are um, in the in the best way possible. It's uh, you know, there are still some applications I remember reading from, from my days working in, working in college admissions. And so if students can, can really share who, who they are and what's unique about them and what they can bring to a campus, I think um, they, they can get a little bit at least beyond some of this anxiety around some of the numbers that are used um, and some of the, these quantitative measures that, that we have, if students can, can sort of look beyond that and think about crafting a, a whole application. They're, they're, they're not just their numbers, they are um, the stories behind them. And if they can find ways to, to express that to admissions officers, um, I think I think that can help them move beyond some of that anxiety. Mm, that's good, and get and get that story out. Well, we appreciate you, Kelly. Thank you for this insight. Really, um, it's interesting. We we make a policy move that that seems so positive and and beneficial, and it's a great idea. And then in the end, it kind of reverses on you. Uh, and the institution's numbers tend to go up, but not the diversity numbers. Kelly Ox-Rossinger is her name. Again, she is a, an assistant professor in the Department of Education Policy Studies and a research associate in the Center for the Study of Higher Education at Penn State University. Uh, doing what she can to help us all uh, live healthier, happier lives by being able to get into college. We need the diversity if we want to have diversity of thought as well. And so important stuff. This is the Matt Townsend Show, doing what we can to help you be the good in the world. Welcome back, friends. You know, uh, as Terry is just prone to do, he he gets online. He just researches like a little college uh, no, I just, PhD student. I just scroll. The aimless scrolling they have said that causes depression and makes yeah. you really have a low opinion of your life. Just, I do it all the time. You just flick your finger. 
Which is why I don't understand that research. I'm like, I don't have a lower opinion of my life because I just scroll through things. Oh, but Terry, you should. Maybe. I think what it is is I don't have all the other people that are bragging about what great things are happening in their life. Yeah. So not. I don't see all that. I'm just reading stuff. Yeah, you're not on social media. You're just scrolling I, with your mouse. I made a news feed instead of a social media feed. Yeah. So you've been doing some research, and now you've got a, a really interesting article about history. history. So the Pew Research Center yeah. asked Americans to name the 10 most significant historical events of their lifetime. Then they took that data, along with age and all that kind of stuff, and then broke it down into different categories to show you what different people in different points of their life view as the most important historical events. Okay. So they break it out by generation. You have millennial, Generation X, Boomers, and Silent Generation, Matt, your generation. The silent one. No, you're more of a X, right? I'm an Xer. Yeah. Silent but deadly. I accuse you of being like a boomer, though, just because it's better that way. Yeah. Um, so what? I, number one in all four categories, 9-11. 9-11, the biggest historical, historical event. event now, to all categories. For a millennial, what do you think the next most important thing would be? Um, when Kim Kardashian married P. Diddy. No, not on the list. They're actually all legit um, historical events. Nothing, say, pop culture. Nothing. Okay. Millennials would be um, the tsunami. No. It's the election of Obama. President Obama. Oh, wow. That was number two. Yeah, okay. For Generation X, that was also number two. For the baby boomers, that was number four. And for the silent generation, that was number six. Hold on. What, what is the silent generation? Silent is, well, after before the boomers. So this would be boomers would be after World War II, yeah. right? So the silent is World War II and now, is before. That just because they can still speak. I think, yeah. uh, There's a reason. Okay. If you want to go into that, it's <laughs> sure, a whole sure, other sure. segment if you want me to. Okay. <clears throat> um, so, okay, so second was Obama for the millennials. Yeah, third for the millennials was the Iraq-Afghanistan wars. Yeah. Because it's been their entire life. Right. Right. For Generation X, that was number five. For the boomers, that's not even, on, oh, that's number 10. And for the silent generation, that's also number 10. Okay, yeah. So if you run rank, rank your top 10, it's at the kind yeah. of the bottom of their okay. list. For, uh, let's see, millennials, the, the tech revolution, number five. Okay. Orlando shooting was six. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. Hurricane Katrina was seven. Columbine was eight. Bin Laden, nine. Ten was Sandy Hook. Eleven, the Boston Marathon bombing. Yeah. And then the Great Recession was 12. Wow. It's kind of – isn't it interesting how we all just experience history so What what is significant? We're together, but it's all – so Generation X, your Generation yeah. X, number one was uh, September 11th. Yeah. Two was the election of Obama. What would be the third most important historical event of your lifetime? Of my lifetime, Reagan shooting. Hmm. That's not on the list. I know. Isn't that amazing? That was huge. But one of them has it here. I thought they had it. I saw it somewhere. Uh, Reagan shooting, Challenger explosion. That's number the, seven. The princess die wedding. Princess die death. That would be trivial pop culture stuff. Come no, on. that was intense. I don't know. Uh, Michael Jackson hanging a no. baby out over a. Not there. No. Okay. Uh, His hair catching on fire. No, that was just a commercial. Okay. The tsunami. This last that one tsunami about five or whatever. Indonesia. Years ago. Yeah, that blew my mind. Yeah, that's not on here. 
What? What's we're, third? We're very American-centric. I don't know if you knew that when we come to yeah, polling. apparently England. we are. Third is the fall of the Berlin Wall and the end of the Cold War. Yeah, that's that makes sense. Ah, oh, come on! I was out of the country during that. Yeah. The uh, tech revolution is four for Generation X. Yeah. Iraq, Afghanistan is five. Gulf War is six. So those two separate yeah. incidences, obviously. Challenger disaster at seven. Um, and then others on the list, Hurricane Katrina, Columbine shooting, Orlando shooting, and the Oklahoma City bombing. Those are ahead historically of Reagan getting shot. Yeah, it's not even on the Reagan list. Reagan got shot. He was a president. That thought, was such a big deal. Thought, but he didn't well, die. Maybe that's why it's not on the list. I thought one of the groups had that, but they didn't. It was yeah. the silent generation had the JFK assassination. Yeah. Hmm. For the boomers, uh, JFK assassination is number two. So September 11th and then JFK JFK. for the boomers. And then Elvis' death. Uh, No, then it's (laughs) Vietnam. Uh, Obama's election is four. The moon landing is five. That's huge, right? The boomers had a big life. If it happened. I mean, it could have been a soundstage in Orange County. We don't know. Yeah, very well. Could could have been Vegas. No, very well. Depends on the TV show you watch. Hold on. When did the Vegas shooting come in for people? That's got to be millennials' top Wait, what show is that was the moon landing in Vegas? The X-Files did a thing a couple weeks ago. Oh, okay. Okay. Um. They're just mocking hey, people. Guys, at don't get sorry, distracted. Sorry, 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 sorry. Uh, Las Vegas shooting? I don't know if that this- didn't make anyone's look. Maybe this, it's too- not This in, might have been too uh, b- before that happened. Isn't it interesting, though, where for the millennials, what becomes these moments aren't immense, huge historical moments like uh, Pearl Harbor. Right. It's a shooting. Mm. I mean, the many killed, but these are all shooting, 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 shooting. Not yeah, a war, not like a major war, just a bunch of it's really, shooting. It's really impacting, which is why you kind of see public opinion going yeah. a certain direction and why this Florida school shooting has legs is because yeah. people keep talking. People keep wanting, wanting this to be an issue that gets fixed. Uh, it goes on for Boomers. Seven is the Civil Rights Movement. Oh, yeah. Eight is the Fall of the Berlin Wall. Nine, the MLK assassination. Holy cow. And then 10 is Iraq-Afghanistan wars. Man, Boomers have lived. That is a life. That is a very oh. full life. We've got to fix it for the millennials. Unique to the silent generation, number two was World War Two. Yeah. You know? That's when a, you remember well, World, World War One. That, that I don't know. They I, probably don't remember. That might, yeah, that might be too early for them. Then JFK, Vietnam was big. Other unique ones on there. Eight was the Civil Rights Movement. Mm-hmm. That was very volatile time for the country. That's amazing. The Korean War is nine. And uh, they end with the Iraq-Afghanistan war. So, I mean, it's just interesting how you see the different generations, yeah. what is important, yeah. what holds the space for It them. also tells us where the press goes, right? Because now you get so much press coverage for a mass shooting that would have been the same kind of level of press coverage for Vietnam. And I mean, not over the same duration, but an intense big push of press coverage so it probably uh, registers more in the head man interesting stuff history history uh by generations powerful we'll take a break come back and continue the journey this is the matt townsend show welcome back we always have to wait for the drop. Was that an eye roll? I, I sense some annoyance there. No, no, no. I like okay. it. Um, uh, Terry's got some interesting, I guess, research that will somehow apply to my daughter. It's not research. It's a story. 
Oh, no, that's not good. It, you know, it works. Okay. Your daughter's having twins. Yes. You're very proud of all the effort Twinlets. you put into the twins that are coming. Um, Alabama, a couple, uh, they have their first sex tuplets since 2011, right? So the first set of six, six since 2011 in the state of Alabama. Wow, yeah. Six kids. It's a lot of kids. I had one, and there was a lot of like, oh, how are we going to do yeah. six? How do you manage six? You just close your eyes and go. It's crazy. So <laughs> there are uh, six babies born just short, shy of 30 weeks. Uh, they were only recently allowed to leave the hospital as they've been in there since. I think they were born December 11th. Um, so you got, let's see, Lake, L-A-Y-K-E. Yeah. Tag, Blue, B-L- oh, wow. B-L-U, hmm. Rawlings. Baseball River, net. Rivers, mm-hmm. rivers, and rain, R-A-Y-N-E. Mm. Oh, these poor children. Those are your babies. Um, so the the family already had three kids. Oh, oh they're up to nine. Wow. So instantly, they wanted, you know, one. They're yeah, doing you're the, thinking one, maybe and, two. And again, this is fertility treatments, yeah. which kind of so leads to this, yeah. and that happens. But you end up with three, you want one more. Let's just give it a nice, solid, even four, and you end up with six more kids. So you're up to nine. How do you even remember the the names so of your kids? I'm really hoping my wife does not hear this because we have three, and we're thinking maybe one more, and she's terrified that she's going to get twins. Sex tuplets. But, yeah, what if it's six? Do <laughs> twins run in her family? That's, by the way, that's a question uh, everybody her sister, Her sister has twins. Yeah, so, so she's, yeah. It'll happen. The interesting nugget is the mother said she was excited to have all six babies home by the original due date. Hmm? Can you not use the word nugget? So the babies (laughs) were born shy of 30 weeks. They go through the hospital period there, and then they're home by the time they were supposed to actually be born. Uh, would so you they, rather? Would you rather have six, all six of your kids at once, because you have six kids, yeah. or did no. you prefer the way you did it, where you had them one at a time? One at a time, because then you actually have time to experience each one individually, and you get to make mistakes on the first few, and then correct those <laughs> mistakes on the last few, instead of messing them all up at the same time. Yeah, why ruin a whole batch? And someone's going to be neglected. Absolutely, there's nine kids. It's usually the father. Not really. Ah, poor mothers. Can you imagine having to just the process feeding that many mouths? Oh, unbelievable. Wow. That's an amazing thing. Amazing feat. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the show. Dr. Matt here along with Jeff and Terry. The band is together again. Oh, we're a band now. Yes. That's better than gaggle, I suppose. Yes. And or group and or gang, you're a band. I still think we should go with cartel. Wait, we're we're moving away from gang. Yeah, like I just got all these tats. Yeah. Now what Big am I going to do? <laughs> By the way, a choice for life, not worth it. Hey, um, we got a lot to cover today. We've uh, we we really. I don't know what it is. So I told you my son was coming home from a, an LDS mission. Now I have my my driveway looks like a parking lot. <laughs> Tell people just to go home. 
It's crazy. We got a lot of cars. And so this morning at uh, real, I'm not even going to give you the time because it seemed o- brutal. O-, o dark thirty. O dark thirty. I I go open my garage and my son's car is behind me. Hmm. So I have to go wake him up. Couldn't find his keys. Had to wake him up, startle him, and he had to come down and move his car. So he sent me an emoji that I had never seen before, which uh, it was the typed in emoji. He did, oh, okay. So it wasn't the actual emoji. It was just a semicolon and a forward slash. Hmm. So Sticking it, his tongue at, at you is that and, what that is? and winking at the same time. I don't think there was a wink in there. Well, that's a semicolon. No, a colon then. Or is, oh, it okay. a, or is it a sideways smile? It was kind of a sideways smile. Hmm. I'm not sure what that means. He's the one that parked behind you. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But I think he was just saying, sorry. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, that happened two or three times as I was a kid where I was parked behind my parents. Yeah. And you find a different place to park so you don't have to get up early I to was the one car. minute away from having him towed. <laughs> <laughs> but then I realized I'd have to pay for that. Yeah. So I backed off of it. Hey, a lot of, a lot of crazy news coming out of uh, D.C. Uh, Trump has no hope. Hicks. There you go. Um, we, we always like to add the last name. Hope Hicks is on her way out, uh, which I think is really his last original team member, isn't it? No, Stephen Miller's still there. Oh, Stephen Miller, who sleeps through the speeches yeah, that he yeah. writes. That was funny. <laughs> <laughs> they have a funny video of Stephen Miller falling asleep in a – but you would too if you spent all night writing the speech. Oh, right? yeah. Why does it – I don't know why he has to be in the no, meeting. He, he wrote it. Just go exactly. take a nap. Give the guy a break. So let's get to the headlines, Terry. What else uh, is going on that we should know about? The National Rifle Association on Wednesday responded to President Donald Trump's newfound position on gun control, saying his meeting with lawmakers amounted to great TV but bad policy that would not keep our children safe. Trump hosted lawmakers at the White House earlier Wednesday and bucked GOP orthodoxy on guns multiple times. Take the guns first, go through due process second, Trump said. The president also suggested raising the age for buying an assault rifle, which the NRA opposes. Additionally, Trump urged lawmakers not to include concealed carry language in their legislation, something the NRA views as one of its top priorities. He also accused one senator of being afraid of the NRA, so that's why he says certain things. And I, no, 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 sir, yeah. this is, you know, I don't know. It was a fun uh, moment of TV that he's done several times, and we'll see what the next couple days brings as he tries to walk it back. Yeah. That's what he's done in the past. Maybe this is different. Maybe he truly feels this is important. Yeah, in the probably. Pa- in the past when kids were involved, remember that he saw yeah. the kids in Syria and so well, we're launching cruise missiles yeah, at this an airbase? He's taken it. This is, he feels it. That's what's, I think, pretty neat about Trump is when he feels it, even if he's not, like, greatly informed, he kind of goes with his gut. He trusts his gut on this. And everyone, you know, there's a lot of momentum right now. And half the room gasped. The other oh, half yeah. was like this pumping. But yeah! don't you kind of like that in him that it's it's not as political as it is kind of visceral for him. Mm. And he did take on the NRA in a way publicly that no president does. I mean, President Obama did because he was never pro-NRA. But right. President Trump gets money from NRA. He does. 
Well, he did. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Mm. We'll see if that is adjusted in the future. Attorney General Jeff Sessions on Wednesday pushed back against President Trump's latest attack over his handling in the investigation into the alleged abuses of the Foreign Intelligence Service Surveillance Act, saying he will continue to serve with integrity and honor. In a statement, Sessions says that the Department of Justice has initiated the appropriate processes that will ensure complaints against the department will be fully and fairly acted upon if necessary. He will serve with integrity and honor so long as he is the Attorney General, and the Department of Justice will continue to work in a fair and impartial manner. Sessions said this uh, in response to the President, who scolded Sessions on Twitter Wednesday for uh, turning over the FISA investigation to the Department Inspectors General, mm. calling the Inspector General... Isn't he an Obama guy? That's kind of what the oh, Twitter boy. said. Yeah. And he called the move disgraceful, the President said. So... Sessions had to do that. Last night, Sessions was at dinner with Rod Rosenstein, the yeah. guy that's, that's uh, he's the guy that Robert Mueller reports to. Right. And so that was kind of a a, uh, a confidence building photo op because, oh, someone got a photo and now it's out on the web of them having dinner. Right. So there's all this, this was play Was this a response on. to that? The dinner? Yeah, no, yeah, was this... The comments were a response to the Twitter. Many people feel that him having a dinner, having dinner with his number two, who's actually over the Mueller investigation, right. is something showing, look at me. I, I'm in a st- position of strength, and the president's attacking me, but I'm okay, oh, type boy. of thing. So yeah. there's all this And non-verbal. by the way, President uh, Trump apparently calls uh, Mr. Sessions behind the scenes Mr. Magoo. Mr. Magoo. <laughs> <laughs> you just... But like... You can't have... Which is funny because I've seen several late-night comedians make the same comparison. (laughs) But he's not... President Trump's not the senior class president. No. He's the president of the United States. I mean, a senior class president would call one of his fellow officers Mr. Magoo. Oh, wow. So you're saying it's behavior not fitting of the office? Yes. Wow. Mm. All right. That's not. But like when he took on the NRA, that seemed pretty fitting of the office. Yeah. You know, time of day. Pick your, one was during executive time. Pick your poison. One when he was on the clock. Yeah. Good point. Uh, special counsel Robert Mueller's team has reportedly zeroed in on the possible efforts by Donald Trump to fire his attorney general, Jeff Sessions. The Washington Post reports and investigators have begun asking questions in detail about the matter as part of the probe into potential obstruction of justice. In particular, the Post reports witnesses have faced uh, questions about Trump's private comments and state of mind in late July and early August of last year when he began to publicly assail his attorney general. Mueller's team has reportedly, uh, they're seeking information on whether Trump intended to fire Sessions in order to replace him with someone who would rein in the Russia investigation. Yeah. Okay. So, all this is all coming together as he continues to go after him on uh, on Twitter. Right. Uh, uh, Georgia high school teacher fires a gun in class. No one injured. But uh, oh, the the teachers have a teacher, yeah. But it, an armed teacher. Let me show you. Dalton High School, Dalton, Georgia, was put on lockdown and evacuated Wednesday after a popular social studies teacher, Jesse Randall Davidson, fired a handgun through an outside window. Nobody was injured from the gunshot, but one student hurt her ankle in the rush to get out of the building. Davidson, 53, fired the gun at about 11.30 in the morning during his planning period after uh, students and then the principal, Steve Bartu, were unable to get into the classroom, Bartu said. When he returned to the key, Bartu said, Davidson slammed on the door, or slammed the door before I could open it, and he said, don't come in here, I have a gun. Whoa. Davidson was taken into police custody after a standoff with the police that lasted 30 to 40 minutes, so he barricaded himself in the room. 
Uh, he said the motive is still unclear. It did not take long for Dalton High students to tie their fright uh, their fright to the national debate on gun violence and arming teachers. They tweeted the NRA saying, hey, this happened at my school today. Uh, before, I thought it was a good idea to arm teachers. Now I'm not so sure. Yeah. I'm guessing this was all part of the teacher's plan. Like maybe he's against arming teachers, so he armed himself to show everyone wow. that this is a bad idea. Yeah, I'm just thinking he had an episode. <laughs> he had a gun and had like a, a mental health episode. Didn't I just right. say this the other day? Like they can't do that because teachers are stressed and underpaid. Yeah, that's it's a it's a good point. And yeah, it again is maybe making a point that the more people with guns that then could have a mental health event the more likely you are to then have an an issue right but again one teacher how many teachers in the united states right. There's thousands of That's them a good point but the timing is horrible, though. Yeah, this happened like a week later after yeah. trump brought it up uh this was interesting uh, they always hear about Australia. Whenever the, oh, yeah. the gun situation comes up, uh, there were some things done in Australia that people maybe want to model. Right. So in 1996, a man walked into a tourist resort in Tasmania, Australia, shot 35 people, killing them and wounding 23 others. It's called the Port Arthur Massacre. It was the deadliest mass shooting in Australian history and forever changed the country's relationship with guns, leading to laws that heavily restricted their purchases of gun ownership. And because of that, the number of those types of killings went down. Mm -hmm. Murders with guns. There's right. less guns in circulation, less people right. die because of gun. Now, knifings, stabbings went up dramatically. They did, because what's the next weapon on the list? The right. knife. Um, on Thursday, Australian authorities announced that 57,000 firearms were, were turned in during last year's country's first gun amnesty since the 1996 massacre. Wow. So since they, they, this first time they've done this, bring your gun in, no questions asked, just give us the gun. So the total that they ended up having uh, turned in, they got 2,500 automatic weapons, 2,900 handguns, and one rocket launcher. Whenever someone does this, a rocket launcher There's shows up. There's always a rocket launcher. It's like it's crazy. But I got, he got it like at a scout jamboree. Those are always fun in the game Goldeneye too. Did oh, you love are. the rocket yeah, yeah. launcher? Yeah, when you do like the, uh, you do like the my cousins and I for Christmas would sit down and do the the four on four. You can play everyone oh, yeah. playing everyone else, yeah. and we just ran around with rocket launchers you guys blowing getting, each other up. You guys are getting side. I'm sorry, we side got off track. Right but again, rocket launchers, <laughs> and that's another issue. Video games. Yeah. Oh, oh boy. Trying to get somebody on to talk about that. Um, have you had a bad day? Every day. You have is a every bad day, bad day? No, uh, I mean, no, seriously, no. like a bad day. Uh, no. What? I've had a bad afternoon or a bad morning or a bad moment. Right. The whole day is hardly ever wasted. So the average American says that around 80% of their bad days, what are they caused by, do you think? Their choices or their uh, attitude? There's like a specific thing that they point to. Other people. Expectations. Food. Uh, they didn't. Food. Stress at work. Yeah. Ooh. Leads to a bad day. Just things are yeah. happening. It kind of piles up. Uh, it says the average American experiences 60 bad days a year, according to a new study. That's it? 60 bad days. That's a lot. Still a lot of days. <laughs> Says the survey of 2,000 working Americans examined how we deal with stress, what exactly a bad day consists of, and what effects it has on our health. The work uh, work was inevitably a big contrib uh, contributor to it. The results found the average respondent blames work for four out of five bad days that they experience in a typical month. That's 
12 weeks of bad days a year. Yeah. Work weeks. Work weeks. That's crazy. Um, it says the research commissioned by the fitness app Freeletics looked at the specific reason given for people experiencing uh, a bad day and found not getting enough sleep was the biggest contributing factor with 67% of people saying that it's because oh, of yeah. sleep. So it's sleep and stress at work are the two big. Yeah, right. The two by the way, big. that's my life right there. 34%. So feeling sick, also a big factor as for a bad day, financial worries and work-related stress. Um, so 34% have had their days ruined by having some plans fall through. Yeah. Something you really wanted to have happen. And, mm. oh, and 25% said bad hair led to the whole day being ruined. Mm. Having a bad hair day. Are you serious? <laughs> like, hey, that person needs to talk to a bald man. A bald man where you have no hair? <laughs> it's like, hey, you know what? You'll get over it. Yeah, that means that guy's having 365 bad days. <laughs> if if it's that big of a deal to the person. Holy cow. Now, this is uh, an exercise company yeah. commissioned this report. It says the frequent... The frequently uh, with, with which the frequency with which someone works out correlated with how likely they were to report that exercise helped them deal with stress. Okay, which is obviously obvious. The more you work out, probably the more likely you're going to say, "Hey, that helps me." Right, right. Like the more you eat a hamburger, you might say, "Hey, that helps me." That helps me a lot. It also says, uh, "Where did that go?" Fifty percent of Americans reported that they are more likely to indulge in admittedly unhealthy foods after a quote bad day. Oh yeah, because that you know comfort food isn't well, necessarily seen as healthy, right? But have you ever have you ever had a bad day and then had like a pot of homemade macaroni and cheese that just made your day bright again? That's not going to do it for me. What's what would be your comfort food of choice? Oh, muddy buddies, oh, nachos. Brother. Are you going back to muddy buddies? Yes, and nachos. <sighs> Have you tried homemade macaroni and cheese? I'm just homemade. not a big mac and cheese fan. No. How about lasagna? Mm, I don't like. How about a ziti? I just a really good ziti. I don't like things that are too creamy or too cheesy. Except nachos. I love pizza. Yeah, but okay. that's fake cheese. You're so nachos, nachos with real cheese is bad. Oh yeah. Okay, just check it. You're very complicated. And then Muddy Buddies. What would be your comfort food? So if you had to, if you had a really bad day, and you're like, "That's it, I don't care. I will. I'm going to kill myself by eating." Mm. I don't know. There's so much. I mean, there's so many things that I, I like. It's yeah, like, but you, you don't. Just pick, I don't. I have a. I seriously don't have a favorite. Yeah. I mean, I could say pizza, but then I'd also like this other meal, or What's I'd like the other this meal? one. I'd What's be, another one? Homemade mac and cheese is oh, great. My wife makes good. a great chicken noodle soup, homemade. You'd kill yourself I love by chicken soup. noodle soup. It's good. I do too. But the best part Ooh, with homemade noodles. The, yeah, well, no. But the best part is that it's soup, but it's more like substance than yeah. the water. So you're not like drinking mm-hmm. dinner, which makes no sense to me. Oh, my mom, my grandma used to make the best chicken noodle soup. My wife will get taste. mad. I'll drain off the broth because I just want to eat the noodles and the chicken. Oh, yeah. I drink the broth. Yeah, that's gross. I dip my nachos and Muddy Buddies in it. (laughs) Anywho, let's get to some uh, empty news. Jeffrey, um, you got one story for us? I'm going to tell you the story, and then real quick, I'm going to want your take on it, because I know this is an issue that's very close to your heart. Okay. 
A 57-year-old Florida woman who tased a man to keep him from leaving was charged with battery. The victim told the sheriff's office deputy who responded that after he got tired of being tased, he called 911. He said they'd been upstairs chilling when she got up and grabbed the taser. So that Uh-oh. was not a good chill session, it no, sounds yeah, like. Apparently they weren't very chilled. He said, uh, he said he tried to stop her and then called 911. The victim had marks on his left flank consistent with being tased. His flank. Yeah. Okay. This is making me hungry. <laughs> the two lived together for 16 years, according to the arrest report. Now, I, I want to play for you the ad. Uh, I assume it's where she got the taser or yeah. got the idea to tase him. Cool. But here's the ad real quick, and then I want to get your take. Ladies, you've heard the saying, stand by your man. Stand by your man. But what if your man don't want to stand by you? Then you need tase your man. The new taser that guarantees he'll never leave you. The taser man is also great for getting him to do his chores. Keeping him from dozing off during a conversation. And with the taser man, your man will never look at another woman again. Taser man. Because every relationship could use a good jolt now and again. Mm. Do you think that could help a relationship, a taser? Absolutely. Absolutely. Always aim for the flank, by the so way. So has she been tasing this guy for 16 years? No, the taser was probably a newer thing. Something they brought into the marriage thinking, hey, it's not working. We don't, we're not, we're not getting where we need to go. So she's like, I got an idea. Let's bring a taser in. Boom. Oh, oh you feel like uh, you want to leave me, huh? Yeah. Hmm. Try. I'll race you to the door. <laughs> Yeah, and then, then, then she aims for the flank and just takes him down like a flank stake. Taser Man. Taser Man, one of our great sponsors of the well, Matt Townsend Show. I know that you sold a taser for a while, and maybe this could yeah. be... We're thinking of starting a new brand. You could start selling this at your date nights. It's a great idea. Come and get a free taser. It's kind of a Band-Aid, but, you know, sometimes you just need a Band-Aid. Well, you will need a Band-Aid after this, apparently, because it leaves a little (laughs) taser burn. Hey, tons of fun, folks. Up next, we're going to talk about how to conquer fear of failure. Straight ahead, this is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, uh, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, the old saying, to err is uh, to be human, is very true, but that doesn't mean we like it. We spend most of our time to be trying to be as perfect as possible because we want so badly to avoid failure. We live in this constant state of fear that can paralyze us if we let it. So here to talk about it today is Dr. Theo um, Saucides, uh, who... Uh, um, Who's, who wrote an article on this that's on Psychology Today, also is the author of the book Brain Blocks, Overcoming the Seven Hidden Barriers to Success. And uh, we're, we're honored to have you here, Doctor. Thank you so much for your time. 
Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. This is this fear of failure is a it's a really interesting thing because I think I even have it. It's it's almost a fear because you could we could have fear of success. People, you know, might get that, but there's fear of failure, there's fear of success. Fear really uh, takes a lot of our brain space, doesn't it? Absolutely. It's one of those uh uh, it's one of those forces that really shapes our lives. Uh, if you think back in, in all the decisions we have made, where we are in life right now, role, the role of fear has been, has been instrumental. Uh, there are things that we have done in our lives because we weren't afraid, and there were other things that we haven't done because we were afraid of what was going to happen. So fear is, is really a, a powerful uh, factor in how we shape our lives. Mm. What, what, talk to us about how fear happens and and why we have it i mean i'm I, you can see how it protects us and our physiology but um what what actually happens in our brain when we're starting to to have these moments of fear yeah the uh the notion that we have of fear and we often hear about it uh is that it's this very uh primitive hardwired biological mechanism that's protecting us that's uh functioning uh, in a way that makes us, keeps us alive. And that is true, especially in situations where we are really in a, in a, uh, in a pickle, like we're in a life-threatening situation. However, we all know that we experience fear when we're not really, we're not, our, our lives are not threatened. So mm-hmm. what, what's happening? What's happening is that as we have evolved, so has our ability to create fear in our brains. And our fear is no longer, you know, we can't think of it as a as an automatic reaction. You may have heard of the amygdala, that the amygdala lights up and it sends signals and that makes us freeze or, or uh, fight or flight, which is, yes, it's true at a biological level. However, nowadays, because we have created this very complex social interconnected world, our fear has become more of a, of a mental construction, if you will. So it's not just a biological phenomenon, but it's really a mental phenomenon we start building situations and hypotheses and making predictions in our brain. And that's what creates that, that feeling of fear. Interesting. Um, it's like we're over, yeah. we're over, we're almost like overly thinking it. We're, we're intellectualizing it when originally it was just kind of a visceral physiological reaction to save your hide. Now it becomes a convoluted intellectual process. Yeah, it it doesn't. You know, the threats that we encounter in our day-to-day lives today are not the same as, no. you know, our ancestors encountered. So what happens now, if you, if you think about it, it's the things that we're afraid of are things that haven't happened yet. We're afraid of what will happen if I do this or what will happen if I do that. So we're, we're afraid of the, of the consequences of what will happen if I take a certain action more than we are what's, you know, what's in front of us. So what um, what do we do with this fear? Like, um, I mean, you've got so many great ideas on how to to go about it, but it's almost like we because we I guess because we are thinking it up and turning it into something in our mental schema or whatever we are um, we probably could turn it into something less dangerous or less fearful, couldn't we? Absolutely. Uh, you know, there there's a a very good theory that I, I like, and it's talking about how fear is really not about uh, what's in front of you, but what could happen, the consequences. And there is a, uh, a hierarchy of fear, 
that you know how we say that fear is is functioning to promote our survival but our survival can be at different levels so there's the biological survival which is uh, a life-threatening situation where i'm trying to protect my life and i'm trying to keep stay alive but then there's also physical survival caring about my health being uh living a healthy life not getting sick not getting uh you know afflicted with some some uh, fatal disease there's also the um the survival of our economy we have we are afraid of things that are going to limit us limit our freedom to make choices uh limit our autonomy uh limit our decision making ability and then there's the social survival which is surviving in a social environment that means that we're afraid that we will do something that will make people dislike us we will lose friends uh we will not be hireable anymore uh and finally there's the ego survival which is kind of like the fundamental uh, uh need we have to maintain our self-worth to to say to ourselves you know we have what it takes and we're a worthwhile person and uh we can do things and feel respect and we live according to our values hmm. so that's a, a different way of thinking about fear because most of the things that we're afraid and afraid of nowadays like fear of failure for example is one of those really more concerned about how we are going to come across to others and how our beliefs about ourselves are going to be affected in case we fail to achieve a goal that we set mm. and those deeper ones are probably uh the, the they seem less accessible to us they seem almost more hidden away in our psyche they are more hidden away yet they're more present yeah yeah they're very oh they're, they're part of our everyday yeah 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 that's interesting yeah. so talk to us about um I mean, I guess, so how do we go in and start kind of uncovering what, which one of these hierarchical levels is impacting our fear, and how do we start to turn it around? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So let's take fear of failure, for example. Uh, the research shows that when we're talking about fear of failure, we're not talking about our biological survival. We know we're going to live through any kind of failure. Uh, but there are five particular areas that um keep people from taking the actions that they need to achieve their goals in in the context of fear of failure um and understanding what it is specifically that keeps somebody holds somebody back is very important so what are these five areas um first it's the intense feelings of shame and embarrassment that come with uh feeling uh failing uh people will feel this and shame is very uncomfortable embarrassment is really not a very a pleasant emotional state that somebody wants to be in. So uh, people imagine that they will be very ashamed if they fail. Mm-hmm. Um, the other area is um, failing means that I don't have what it takes. It means that I didn't have the ability, I didn't have the uh, knowledge that was required, I didn't have the um, the swagger, so to speak, to, to bring my, my goal to fruition. And that's a very hurtful thing when you realize that Oof, I'm not as good as I think I am. Mm. Uh, also, a failing, the fear of failure has to do with what we envision about our future. If I have a goal, let's say my goal is to publish a book and uh, become a best-selling author. And if that doesn't happen, then where does that lead me? What is the, 
what's the future going to hold for me? Uh, how am I going to make a living? Uh, what will what will um, what will I do next? So that's the the fear of an uncertain future is another way of uh, understanding what causes fear of failure. Um, the next area, and it's very important in our very socially connected world nowadays, is that if you fail, you will become irrelevant. Uh, so uh, people won't want to listen to you anymore. They won't follow you on social media. They won't listen to your uh, to your uh, wonderful radio station. So um, that's the other, and that's a social survival situation, right? Where we feel that uh, we are going to not matter anymore, and that's that's very very painful. Um, and the last area is that we fear that we're going to let people down, especially when people have high expectations of us. Uh, whether you are a, a student and, and your parents expect you to go to the best college, uh, or if you are a professional and people ex- have high expectations of your productivity, of your ability to get grants, uh, or in any kind of a professional setting, uh, the, the worry is that, well, if I fail... Um, these people will be disappointed and they may uh, no longer believe in me and they may not uh, trust me anymore to, uh, to help them out or to, to do something great in the future. Uh, so that's another, another kind of loss that uh, we worry that we will experience. Mm. Man, that is, it's so fascinating because um, I, I guess as we're thinking through this, we could we can easily start to say, okay, I can I can actually start categorizing my fear as more of you know irrelevancy or more of my vision about my future, um, and then that might help me approach it differently. Uh, again, we're speaking today with Dr. Theo Sassidis, who is um, he's a he's a, a neuropsychologist an assistant professor at the ICANN School of Medicine at Mount Sinai in New York. He's also the author of Brain Blocks, Overcoming the Seven Hidden Barriers to Success. And today he's talking to us about how to conquer the fear of failure. You you actually also suggest that we redefine failure as something else. Um, explain to us what, what we would redefine failure. What would be a better definition of failure? This uh, thought came to me because I noticed that we think that failure is a lack of success. And when we talk about success, it's really hard to define it because each one of us defines it differently. Uh, In essence, and and I mentioned that in the book, it's kind of like a central theme that success is really our ability to set, pursue, and achieve a goal. So what success means to me is something different than what it means to you or every single audience member today has a different definition of success. Uh, Some of our definitions converge at the highest level, like we all want to be successful and happy. What does that really mean, right? Mm -hmm. So the same way when we talk about failure, um, you know, a lot of people say I have fear of failure, but what exactly does that mean? What does failure mean to you? What does failure mean to somebody else? What does failure mean to me? And because it's hard to define, uh, I, I always look at failure as the discrepancy between where I am now and what I want to achieve. Mm. So instead of thinking of I failed, because it's really hard to, to fail. You know, when you fail, you, you have to give up completely something. And in my mind, failure really means I, I, stop, I stop working toward a goal. 
a goal that is still important to me. If a goal becomes irrelevant, then I don't see failure in that situation. You just you just uh, redefined your priorities. Uh, so um, if, for example, you know you want a promotion at work, uh, but you realize now that what you're doing is very fulfilling, then not going after that promotion doesn't mean that you failed. It means that you shifted your priorities to being the best you can in the current position. Right. However, if you still want to get the promotion and you haven't gotten it, it's not a matter of I failed. It's, it's really an issue of, okay, I haven't gotten there yet. So what can I do to move things forward? How can I recalibrate the efforts, the actions that I'm taking to make that uh, happen? And part of that process may be to realize that, you know what, maybe it's not that important to me. So I could, I could focus my energy on something else. Yeah, absolutely. And take it to, I mean, and, and then start moving toward what you actually want to accomplish instead of and away from the fear of what might go wrong in our world. Uh, mm-hmm. what, what do you, I, I guess, um, This it's so interesting that we're so driven by such a negative concept that it would actually keep us from offering our best offerings. What uh, what advice do you give those that that feel like they're stuck and they and they really they just they really feel like they're being overly driven by their fear? The best way to understand fear, this is what this is what I do. I, I, I help people understand better their emotional machinery, how how emotions work, how they're generated, and then uh, teach them how to have more uh, control, how to how to uh, use their emotions, not suppress them, but how to use them to achieve their goals. I think that in this case, fear fear of failure particularly has a very important function. It tells you, it informs you that something is not going the way I want it, and. Um, I also worry that this is going to have consequences. So with fear, people, people, um, there are two important factors. One is that people overestimate the consequences of failing. So they imagine things will be much worse than, than they will. And for that particular aspect, what I help them do is build uh, confidence that they will be able to deal with the consequences. This is about really how strong we are to deal with, let's say, a bad decision that we made. How can we live with it? Not, not about um, what the damage will be, but mostly I'm confident I can overcome this. So uh, let's say if I'm an athlete and I have a record to break and I didn't break it, uh, that will be devastating but for a little bit. But then what am I going to do next? How am I going to deal with the fact that I didn't win this competition? That's where we go back to recalibrating the efforts and uh, figuring out, well, do I need to practice more? Do I need to, uh, do I need a better coach? Uh, do I need to change categories? Uh, and you pursue your goal that way. Hmm. The other thing that uh, fear can be uh, traced back to is lack of experience. So in any situations where we're not experienced uh, and it's something new, it's a new setting, it's a new boss that we're dealing with. It's a new activity that we take on. Uh, we lack the experience. And what that means is that we don't have, uh, we're not going to be as effective. We're not going to be as quick. We're not going to be as um, knowledgeable. We're not going to have the right strategies to deal with the problems that emerge. 
and that can cause anxiety and fear uh, because in modern you know in modern times we experience the fear mostly as worry as anxiety so there the 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 simplest uh, advice that i give people is become um get more experience become more involved more engaged become more immersed in what you want to do and as you do that your fear is going to start dissipating because mm. you will develop that uh, the abilities that you need to make you successful in that context. Fear of public speaking is, is an example of that, for instance. Um, you know, fear of public speaking is often quoted as uh, people's number one fear. And that's not true. <laughs> the research shows that for some people, fear, fear, is very, fear of public speaking is very common. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's important, it's an obstacle for people who do public speaking. And public speaking can involve anything like what we're doing now is right. public speaking. You're an expert in public speaking, right? Well, we'll see about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're speaking to a large audience. Right. And then that, that takes, uh, takes a lot of confidence and a lot of skill. Uh, so with public speaking, if somebody is afraid of public speaking, there really is no better way of uh, overcoming it than speaking as often as they can. Uh, start small with small audiences, with a few people at a time until they become uh, stronger, until their emotional system is not as reactive, until they realize that the consequences are not there. So experience yeah. is what uh, helps us. Man, Theo, this is um, – it's so – I just – it's so important that we we get this insight, this information. Uh, again, everybody, go find Theo's book, uh, Dr. Theo Saucedis. Um, the book is um, very simply titled Brain Blocks, Overcoming the Seven Hidden Barriers to Success. And uh, really, we all have these little anxious moments, these little fearful situations. And if we can't unleash that, then the world suffers because we're not going to get your good stuff. We're not going to get the best that you bring. And we need the best from everybody. We will continue the journey up next to a little Coach's Corner for you. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. What's the matter with you, boy? You too stupid to do what your coach tells you? Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Play ball! Layball, welcome back, friends. Um, you know, whether it's the fear of failure or fear of success or fear of not being good enough, fear of not adding up, fear is driving a lot of our lives. And in the end, um, I, I really, I think that it's not, it's not our best self, right? I mean, our highest self is not a fearful you know, fret, fretful person, our highest self, our essence, the greatest part of who we are is, uh, is not this fearful little being. And so I think one of the problems is it's a, like uh, our good doctor was Theo was telling us before that it's really just, it's a construct. It's, it's, it's one thing to be fearful of, you know, an animal that's going to harm you. But that makes sense, kind of on a visceral, physiological level, a biological level, you need to survive. But a lot of us are now misconstruing that chemistry, those feelings, and actually inventing problems for ourselves. 
uh, I've heard people discuss the fact that we're, we're humans are one of the only animals that experience chronic anxiety and fear. <laughs> we're the only ones that are chronically stressed. And a lot of us are so stressed about things that aren't even real. It's about possible things. Like, what if I can't get a job? What if, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if? And we spend so much time focused on our future or so much time not getting over our past. And instead, we just never stay present in the now. And I I honestly think it's a trap. It is a trap that actually is designed to keep us from progressing and being and offering the best thing we can bring to this world. Because if I'm obsessed about what has to happen tonight in my meeting at 5 o'clock or whatever, then um, I am not here right now. And when I'm not here right now, I suffer and you suffer. And no wonder we would stress. You should stress if you're not in the now. I really think your biology is saying, yeah, man, you really ought to focus on the now, dude. Because if you don't, you're going to be eaten by a dinosaur or whatever. You're going to get killed. So we sit, we struggle, we obsess, and then we make up a lot of stories. And we actually use the stories without thinking about them, and we keep using them. Because somebody hurt us in the past, then we have to prevent them, uh, somebody similar to that person. Not really, but I mean, I see this all the time with couples where, because I had a bad history with my um, spouse, then I'm going to try to prevent any history like that going forward. So I will, I will tend to see everybody I date as somebody that could hurt me like my spouse. Imagine how you date somebody if you're always dating out of fear, if you're always dating out of your worst uh, kind of side instead of your healthiest essence. What kind of partner do you find? And what kind of presentation do you give if it's always a presentation out of fear? So how do we overcome this? I think one of the best things that every one of us could focus a little bit more on is let's start staying more present in the now in our lives. Let's actually be where we are at any given point. Let's actually be present. Let's, let's have our head in that conversation. Let's have our head in that game. I have seen uh, over and over with my life and my own clients that I am so afraid of things that could happen, but the reality is if they did, the worst case scenario, think of it, the worst case scenario of what could happen to you or your family, if it happened you'd actually be you'd you'd get through it you wouldn't be fine but you'd you'd get through it if you lost somebody that you could never imagine losing and they were taken in a tragic accident you would get through it if you talk to anybody that's done that and gone through such a tragedy they eventually get through it and they adapt and they cope and they learn and they grow so and so would you now it doesn't – accepting the fact that you could get through it doesn't mean you love someone less and it doesn't mean you can't um, – that, you know, that, that life's not good. But wouldn't it make much more sense to instead of worrying about what could happen, to actually be present with the person you love today, to love them, to care for them, to spend the time, to deepen that love? And so one of the rules might simply be the minute you start to worry about the what ifs or what, what if this happened? Maybe that's a sign that you need to get in the now. 
Now's the time to live your life. Now's the time to experience and grow and develop. Now's the time to exercise your integrity. Now, now, now. Not tomorrow, not next year, not someday. Now. Let's do something now. Anyway, it's just a thought from your friendly neighborhood coach. We'll continue the journey more straight ahead. Some empty news coming up. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends. It's time for some more empty news with Jeff Simpson. What's up, Jeffrey? So earlier we talked about a woman who was using a taser because things weren't going the way that she wanted them to go, right? Yeah. And you suggested that maybe that's not a bad idea. The taser man. Taser man. Okay. um, How about using a corn dog when things don't go your way? Like as a weapon or as as a weapon, a comfort meal. Do you think that would? Well, that's those are two different questions. Yeah, I, I don't know that I would defile a corn dog as a weapon because it's one of the great gifts from heaven. Yeah. Okay. It's a well. It's, it's food on a stick. We've got another story out of Florida. A Florida man behind bars after an argument at a gas station leads to a battery charge. Friday just afternoon, deputies say Kevon McDaniel got angry at a gas station attendant because they would not sell him alcohol. Oh. Thank goodness he didn't have alcohol in him when he made this poor choice that I'm about to share with you. (laughs) Marion County Sheriff's Office public information officer explained they would not sell him alcohol, and because of his anger, he lashed out and threw whatever he had in his hands which apparently was hot dogs, and he had a corn dog stick, and he poked her in the face, what? causing a reddish injury to her eye. Oh, no way. The man did not flee the scene after the, his corn dog attack. In fact, he was there on Friday when deputies arrived when he was promptly arrested. Can you imagine the paperwork on that one? Yeah. Assault with a corn dog. And uh, that's just, you're not even safe anymore. Now a guy's going to pull a corn dog on you. I know, right? And ruined a good meal. Oh. Can you eat a corn dog without ketchup, by the way? Yes. Really? Uh Uh-huh. Wow. I don't mean like physically can you do it. Would you do it? Yeah. I do it all the time. Whoa. That's criminal itself. Corn dog is the perfect meal. (laughs) Just kidding, everybody. Hey, uh, more straight ahead, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show uh, without the corn dog, we're, we're here to help you live longer, love stronger, and lead healthier lives. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here, your friend, your guide on the side. Along with Jeff and Terry, Jeff's updating me on his favorite radio show, Walmart Radio. That was me. That was Terry, actually. Oh, who said it? Oh, Terry. Did I say I did. Jeff? Yeah, you did. Yeah, you're Terry. It's a, I, Terry I, said that. I, I'll, I'll go in there occasionally and just you s- listen to the PA and there's music playing and all of a sudden some guy starts talking and it's a live show and they start doing call-outs to associates yeah. and you're doing great out there in the 
produce department and so and so over in the bakery saw what hey, you were doing that way to move that. and you're like what <laughs> and ma'am uh, you probably don't want that can of peas that can of peas is bad really that would be scary Joe, he's like watching the... you and just doing the live hey, commentating sh- back away from the pet food sir uh, you need to pay for that first so Recognizing sad. Joe and Lana Garden in store 4983 out How in North fun, Carolina. Whoa. I mean, some of these stores well, are so big, they need their own radio station. I would love I that gig. Can I get that gig? Yeah. Like, listening to the guys really put effort into it is, is kind of fun to listen to also. I want to stop someone who goes, does this run all day long? Is this what you listen to as you're stocking I've shelves? Never, I've got to get. I've got to well, listen to it. usually have headphones on when you walk That's, into the store. As exactly. do I, but this this situation. I you go in and it. out of the store with headphones. Oh yeah, really? I just pop them in. And you just don't. You want to be removed from society. Yeah. Yes. Wow. That's okay. How you've Terry listened, you've plays listened it. to him talk, right? He, he explains it all the time. <laughs> Terry just is trying to hide. <laughs> I, I just, love I just my pop headphones, them in. and and fact, I've been really sad. But I still wear mine, and I don't even have any charge in them because I lost my little charger cable thing. Is it news? Is it an audio book? Is it a podcast? I'm just listening to podcasts. It's, okay. It's social avoidance is what it is. I'm, I'm going to a school function for my kid tonight. Just, oh, yeah. And I spent, no, but this you can't morning, have as, them there. As I was driving, I'm like, I'm going to take my headphones. I think I'll be all Ooh. right. Because you put one in, yeah. the other one's out, and you just sort of walk around and people talk to you. Yeah, you can't do that. I do it all the time. Well, you're going to eventually tell your child that... Daddy doesn't listen. He knows. He goes. You always. He'll come and like tug my shoulder my, on my shirt or something. And go, Dad. Take take your headphone out. Take it out. He goes. Okay. Now we can talk. Oh, that's cute. Because he knows. Yeah. That's fine. Wow. We got a lot of work. Part of it Terry. is just sheer boredom because you know, like sitting at my uh, kid's practice or yeah. whatever game he's Practices, at. Practices. Like, that's where you wear them because <sighs> then you can watch. Then you can listen to your favorite podcast while you watch your child right. exercise. I just have found other places where I can use them. Well, get away with it. At least, I mean, at least you're honest about it. A lot of people do that, and they just ignore their children and pretend like they're not yeah. ignoring. And I'm not ignoring. I, I'm watching everything no, he's you're doing. There. Right? You just yeah. But, I just another part of my brain is focused elsewhere. It is pretty telling when he's like, "Dad, you got to take your ear, your <laughs> Dad, earbud take, out. Take your headphone out. We got to talk." Come on. Hey, uh, again, um, sad news. Uh, President Trump um, is without hope. There's other ways you can present this, Hicks. What do you mean? You've done this multiple times now. I know, but it's just funny. Why? I mean, no, it's not funny that she's leaving. Oh. It's funny that he's without hope. Hicks. I think you got to change the wording and say, he hasn't got a hope. See? Just be more creative is Hicks. all I'm saying. He's hopeless. No, but, yeah. He used to be hopeful, not so much. No, but you'd have to say hope Hicksless. Hmm. Okay, well, there you go. We need Hicks. Come a hope. Hicks. Is, is there Hicks without hope? The answer mm. is no. Uh, hips and hoax <laughs> may break your hips. Break your, break your spokes. <laughs> you could do something with hope floats. That's I don't Sandra know what that Bullock would be. Does Sandra Bullock and Harry Connick Jr.? You could do something with something that. Something different. I've never seen it, by the way. So anyway, that's going on. Uh, along with that, Trump's she's the, also what communications director used to be. Yeah, she, yeah communications. I guess director. she's still there for a few weeks, but she's and really, they really say that now she the, does a great job of kind of keeping him focused, and she helps somehow calm him whenever he gets all riled up. And now, now that's now it's the problem kind of scary is scary that she won't be there. Replacing her is going to be difficult because 
truly the director of communications is Trump. Yeah. Right? So you're kind of doing what – you're following him with his tweets and then trying right. to figure out how to maneuver this after that. This would be the fourth communication the fourth? director. Mm-hmm. They've actually averaged less than 100 days per commu- – on average – for to be the communication director, so it's jo- probably a job you don't want. No, unless you like are unemployed and need a job for about a month. Or and there's three. they're still having problems attracting, say, your A level conservative Republican type yeah. uh, uh, government worker. Mm-hmm. They don't want to be in there in the White House at the moment because the Russia investigation. Yeah, everyone has to end up in front of some committee somewhere, and that means you have to hire a lawyer. And uh, at that level. The government does not provide the lawyer, so you oh, have to that's provide expensive. your – Yeah, so people don't want to just get involved in that in a minute. So then they look within the uh, – who's in the administration now, who could take that, and it gets kind of thin when you get to experience. But, but I mean she had no experience, and they just put her in there because Trump doesn't But I wouldn't look that. at it as – you know, furthering your uh, political career. I'd look at it more like it's your fastest way to get on the Big Brother show. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah, like Omarosa is on Big Brother because she's been on TV with uh, the Donald and she was on, mm. in his... Who is she? She's, she was on The Apprentice. She was on The Apprentice and she's intense and amazing and strong. What and... is Big Brother? Is that where they live in a house together? Yes. She was in there with Ron Artest hmm. and an Ultimate Fighter and some reality And by the stars. way, and she outlasted those two. Isn't Living in a House Together, wasn't that show just called The Real World? Yeah. It was actually Three's Company. Yeah, this is different though. There's cameras and they put them in like different situations and they can't leave the house where in the real world they could go and come and go as they please. Yeah. That is the real world. Well, I know, but this is different. <laughs> there's cameras and then there's Les Moonves's wife who's the host. He's the CEO of CBS, which is kind of interesting. Oh, yeah. Huh. So the guy in charge of CBS, his wife hosts the show that's on CBS. Yeah. She also hosts a talk show on CBS. That sounds like double dipping. No, No, she's super talented. She's way talented, too. Way talented. No one ever really complains, but it's like, your husband's who again? Wow. Yeah. He's the last Moonves. And uh, her name's Julie Chin, I believe. Yeah. And they had she on her talk show called The Talk, I think it's called. It's very inventive titling. The talk. <laughs> um, he, Les Moonves, the CEO of the network, comes on the show, and they asked him, uh, because your wife's on this show, do we get some special favoritism type thing? He goes, no, no, no. If you guys don't make it, we'll cut you. No problem. Oh, <laughs> we'll man. cancel your show. <laughs> Can you imagine that talk? That's some tough When uh, you had to cut your there. wife's talk show? Oh, that would be a long dinner. It's still around, so apparently you're people just like, watch. You're microwaving your... Um, your corn dogs. Yes. And she's just standing there like, so, you going to say something? <laughs> um, no, no. I'm good. <laughs> we good? All right. I'm going to go watch okay, some TV. Okay, let's watch ball. Hey, let's get to the rest of the headlines. What else should we be paying attention to, Terry? During a bipartisan meeting with lawmakers at the White House Wednesday, President Trump volunteered that fixing the NICS bill had some really good things in it, but suggests that its author, Senate Majority Whip John Cornyn, maybe changes the title. So the fix NICS bill isn't something the president likes. He Uh. proposes offering incentives for states to improve the way they report to the federal national instant criminal background check system. One recent mass shooting uh, gunman who attacked a church in Sutherland Springs, Texas, was able to legally purchase a gun because his criminal record had not been properly entered into that database. Ah. And they found the the army or the military in general found that there's 
75,000 names that should be in there. So they quickly have been adding them over the last you know, <sighs> three or four months and trying to figure out where the, 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 the log jam of information, getting yeah. these names into that database and all that. So Trump suggested the bill be called the U.S. Background Check Bill or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, may, it would be easier if we just named the bill what it is. Right. Not the NICS bill. Yeah, no one right. knows what that is. They no. think it's NCIS, the Ex- TV no, show. Like, what time is it on? That's right. No, it's just a bill. So he, he goes, the U.S. background check bill or whatever. Right. Just, you know, he's good. He's about branding. He's, he's a great brander. Uh, the Kushner Companies, the family business of President Trump's son-in-law and senior advisor Jared Kushner, received a loan of $184 million last November from Apollo Global Management, a firm whose founder made several visits to the White House over the year. Three people with knowledge of the matter told the New York Times. Joshua Harris met with Kushner multiple times to discuss infrastructure policy, and they also spoke about Harris possibly getting a job with the administration. This never came to fruition. The money from Apollo was used to refinance the mortgage on a Chicago skyscraper owned by Kushner Companies, and security filings show that this was triple the size of an average property loan made by Apollo Real Estate Lending Division. So they made a triple the size... Bigger than they've ever given. ...loan to this Kushner company, and then the guy that runs the uh, loan company shows up in the White House several times talking about infrastructure, if they could get their... Because it's a private, public infrastructure yeah. concept, right? So it'd be a private company getting involved with the government and money and can I get is there a job available and all these things are happening and Kushner got a big huge loan from this guy. I mean, not according to not the report. Not big huge, like not a billion dollars. It's loan. 184 million. There's another yeah, company. A smaller one. There's another company had a, about a 350 million dollar loan and they had meetings also. Hold on, didn't Jeff, didn't you just get a quarter of a billion dollar loan from somebody? I wouldn't tell you about it if I did. See? Always goes underground. These are some of the conflicts that may be causing problems with security clearances. Yeah, this is is a big deal. So this is what the stories are. This is why he kind of feels maybe paranoid that some of these stories have been timed to be released right now when he's at his weakest. Mm Mm-hmm. But, I mean, what is John Kelly doing to me? It's it, it's it's true. The timing's a little weird, and the stories are kind of worrisome. Yes, I mean, so timing aside, there's some questions. Yeah, yeah, that'll never get. Do answered. you remember when government workers used to just really be civil servants? That yeah, they weren't making that level of money, and they weren't making they weren't like the other hundred and whatever thousand employees making more than a hundred thousand dollars. Right. Those were the days. Those were the days. They were simpler times. Those were simpler times. Uh, Walmart announced on Wednesday it was raising the minimum age for gun purchases to 21 years old. In a statement, the company said the decision was made in light of recent events, likely referring to the shooting in Parkland, Florida. Uh, We're also removing items from our website that resemble assault-style rifles, including non-lethal airsoft guns and toys, the company said. Our heritage as a company has always been in serving sportsmen and hunters, and we will continue to do so in a responsible way. The decision follows a similar announcement from Dick's Sporting Goods wow. early Wednesday that the company said would also discontinue the sale of assault-style firearms. And, I guess, no guns sold at Walmart under 21. Yes, regardless of what the local law is. That's great. Boy, that's that's great. So it gives other companies maybe some cover if they want to follow suit. Yeah. It's also given companies the ability to say, we're not going to change. Social responsibility. Yeah, you can differentiate now. Be different than Walmart. Hmm. Uh, The judges, deputies, and clerks showed up for court. One key element was missing. 
What? No one had invited any jurors. Ah, hmm? yes. The Winston-Salem Journal reports that North Carolina's fourth largest county failed to mail notices up to 1,700 or so prospective jurors needed to hear cases this week. After no one showed up for jury duty on Monday, Forsyth County officials made a plea through local television stations for any volunteers willing to fulfill their civic duty. But only 19 people showed up Tuesday. One judge in the county of 370,000 residents even sent deputies to a mall to seek volunteers, but found nobody that wanted to they should just leave the mall them. and go to jury duty, right? Take, uh, normally, a county printing office makes the notices and sends them. That happens after the jury clerk determines how many prospective panelists are needed oh, and wow. uses a system to select them at random. But this time, the notices weren't mailed because of an error by someone in the county print shop and the county's property manager failed to do this the job. This is coming on the the tell of um, the story where a judge actually charged people who were supposed to make it for jury duty and they didn't mm. show up. Now we have a this is an example where you just forgot to sell out, send just out the mailers. Do it. Man, which is fun. Finally, um Matt, so how hard it is do you think to become a star on YouTube? Um well, I actually know quite a few stars on YouTube, and it didn't seem like it was that hard. Yeah. But it's pretty tedious because once you start, you got to keep going. Mm-hmm. So it says the new research from Germany has found that 96.5% of people trying to become YouTube stars won't make enough money to break past the U.S. poverty line. Yeah. Right? So you could be a star and well-known, but you're not going to make any money. All right. You have to, have, you have to oh, diversify. Oh, you want to make money, too. That's the other thing. It yeah. says YouTubers who break the top 3% of most viewed channels, which means amassing more than 1.4 million views, might only bring roughly in roughly $16,800, according to this uh, university in Germany who's done this polling. Um, so the U.S. poverty line sits at about 12140 uh, for one person. So $12,000 yeah. a year for one person. Uh, they said the results are based on the idea of YouTube charging $1 per 1,000 views for an average YouTuber. Boy. So if you have your hopes that your child is going to become a YouTube star, good <laughs> Probably luck. Probably not good. No, we unless, have no hope. Unless, of course, he, he's willing to eat a cactus. Right? Because there's a guy there that just will chew on like a real prickly cactus and – He's doing great. I mean, mine, he can't talk. I wouldn't tune in for that. You wouldn't? No. Nah. You wouldn't want what if, what if he? What if he ate something else, you know, like uh, what if he just chewed on foil? No. You wouldn't want to see that. No, why is that painful? Is it, does it get between your teeth or it pokes it, your gums? I think it's your cavities. So like the aluminum foil, when it touches any fillings that you have – I think it creates problems, like it shocks you or something. Hmm. I haven't done it. Okay. But it looks very horrible, painful. <laughs> um, do you have any more empty news for us, Jeffrey? Sure. Yeah, I do. Um, I mean, because you are the connoisseur of the empty news. Well, should I be flattered by that? Or? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's an honor. So... You've received a jury summons before, correct? I've served on a jury. Really? You kind was, of, you say that with pride. I was a foreman on a jury. Really? Yeah. So you operated the uh, the lift? Yeah. Okay. I ran the uh, lift. So there's a Pennsylvania resident who was called to perform his civic duty a few years earlier than expected. Really? 
Yes. Okay. Jeanette Fox says, and we're actually going to be speaking with a Jeanette here yes, very are. soon. A Jeanette Bennett, a different yes. one. Jeanette Fox says her son came running to her with a summons from the Chester County Court to appear for jury duty in March. So, so far, nothing right. out so of the far, ordinary, totally right? normal. Yeah. Uh, the problem is her son, Luke, is 11 years old. Mm. So he's a Boy Scout, 11 years <laughs> old. Uh, Fox says she tried to go online to request an exemption, but there's no option to select for those too young to serve, which seems like kind of a big oversight. Yeah. Wouldn't you think? That's a that's a little bit of a mistake, it seems like. She says she made multiple phone calls, and a person who answered said the county had recently changed companies that pull the list for people who receive summonses. Yeah, that sounds like an excuse. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's what that's what they do at every dealership. Oh yeah, when you brought your car in here last time, that was Joe. He's not with the company anymore. He's yeah, he's horrible. Yeah. That's like that's every time we go to the dealership. Right. Um the error was eventually fixed, but Fox says her son was excited to go. Luke is a Boy Scout and he toured the Chester County Courthouse last year. So you uh, wanted to serve on the jury, right. couldn't do it. Eleven yeah. years old. I've actually I've been called in two or three times. And um, I don't know why. I don't know if you're, I'm on a, a, you know, hey, like totally willing list. I don't know what it is. But once you tell them kind of uh, specifically what you do, sometimes they, they just don't want you. I learned very quickly. I've only actually appeared uh, for a jury summons once. And because all the other times I was out of the country and was not able to fulfill that duty. So uh, I went in and I learned very quickly that not all judges are the same. No. One excuse given to one judge might be acceptable, but then to another judge, no. No. So, I need you here. Yeah, that happened. I, I said, look, I'm I'm on a temporary full-time position. If I don't work, I don't get paid. And one judge was like, "Okay, you're excused." Went into another judge. Yeah, it might. I be. wasn't wasn't waived from that. But it sounds like it, what they need is they need bodies, and so you know everybody's got the excuse that they need to make money. I would I would not mind serving on a jury, but yeah, like what, if I don't work, I don't say, get paid. All you really say is, "Yeah, I have a hard time forgiving anybody that ever hurts anybody else." Oh yeah, you just make it sound like you would be an impossible yeah. juror to uh-huh. work with. And then you're like, "Okay, never mind. We're done with you." I think cats deserve the death penalty. <laughs> the lawyer's like, "Oh yeah, let's not use him." Next. But um <laughs> I actually served on a jury. We listened to a case. We heard the entire case. We went the entire day and like at four o'clock they excused us from the room and we came back at the end of the day mm-hmm. uh, about an hour later and the case had been settled. See, but that was just one day. What about people that are out of work for weeks or yeah, months? That would be horrible. And especially when you see – because they can't pay you very much. They give you a stipend. Yeah. That would be – yeah. But you do get free lunches. Here's your per diem. Here's your per diem. Not bad. It's, but you're giving back to the community as well. That's what's Don't important. get me wrong. I would love to do it. Yeah. It's, it's actually a really interesting experience. Um, everybody, sign up for jury duty. Get out there. Make it happen. <laughs> up next, Jeanette Bennett will be joining us. She's going to take us on the journey of her, her weight loss journey. Um, everybody's tried it one time or another. Jeanette's going to show us how she did it. This is the Matt Townsend Show. 
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, uh, you know it's a great day because the studio smells so beautiful and fresh, and uh, it's simply because Jeanette Bennett's here. <laughs> Whenever she's here, it just you make this this close, tight. This man cave. Man cave mm-hmm. smell not so manly. <laughs> just doing my part. Thank you. Jeanette's yes. here. Jeanette's the founder and editor-in-chief uh, at Bennett Communications, where she focuses on Utah Valley Magazine, Business Q Magazine, Prosper Magazine. She is a publisher when we when we get right ta- down to it. And um, she is a great friend of the show, but more importantly, just an incredible human being. You're so nice. Yeah. That was a great intro. Thank you. You should speak at my funeral. I will. Uh, hopefully, Which will hopefully you'll be get a to speak at mine before I speak Aww. at yours. Um, and at this rate, you probably will because you're getting all skinny on us. <laughs> I wouldn't say skinny, but I have been. You've been focused. on a little. I've been on a health journey. Now, let's talk about that. What? Because I didn't ever sense you. You were one that needed a health journey. Well, you seemed fairly healthy to me. You are kind. I I pretty much ate my way through 2017. Yeah, I, uh, nothing wrong with that. There was nothing wrong with it until there was something really wrong with it. We were talking about corn dogs earlier. Are I you big that. into corn dogs? So I ate my first corn dog last year at 2017? Disneyland. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Did you really? and that was my first, and it was delicious. Yeah, I love yeah, it. And dog. I do eat it with ketchup. Do you? And mustard. I heard Oof. you guys talking about yeah. that. Yeah, I'll eat it any way it comes. Mm. So you went on a journey. What? What? So, what pushed you to the to to? It, yeah, Take so late on. last fall, October, November, I was just not feeling like my body matched my soul, mm, you know, yeah. and my clothes weren't fitting and yeah. I had a closet full of clothes and nothing to wear. Yeah. And so I had a few reasons that I was just thinking, I've got to make a change. And I actually spent, I think, way more time feeling guilty about it before I was ready to actually make the change. Yeah. And that's one piece of advice I'd give people. If you're not ready to do it, because it does take mental, emotional, oh, yeah. all that kind of energy. And if you're not ready for it. You're not ready for it. It's no. okay. Don't worry about it. Just feel good about where you're at. Yeah. Well, when and, you're and ready. Recognize you can know it's an issue you need to work on and just find the right time to work on yeah. it. Yeah. And and body image isn't everything. And that's one thing that you know, our kids don't really care. They don't think we're nicer or cooler if we're thinner. It's yeah. Like, there's, it really isn't the biggest deal in life. But you do want to feel good and you do want to feel healthy. And so I had reasons. And so I typed up kind of some reasons or on my phone had a little note of reasons I wanted to focus on this. And then a few things happened to kind of make it make it uh, come together. I had never been to a gym oh, no, until I, last November. Like never. Like you never even like just showed up to like maybe look at getting a membership <laughs> and then said, yeah, I don't want to do this. I hadn't even done that. Wow. Because there's not a gym right by my house. So yeah. I always thought driving there, I'm wasting minutes. I have a treadmill. Yeah. Who it wants to drive dust, to a but gym? But I have one. Right. I can use You hang your clothes on your treadmill? <laughs> I have done that. <laughs> but I actually have used it a lot through the years. But- Last year, it had been definitely gathering dust. But I had um, a girlfriend who, she was also kind of at the same place. She was a little bit older than I am, but she's in better shape. And so we were kind of at a similar place. And we decided to join this gym to go to this this trainer together twice, yeah. twice a week. And um, knowing that I was committed to her was a big deal. Did that help? It did help because the first day, I was I was fearful that I'd walk in and I don't know how oh, to yeah. hold a kettlebell. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, and they say do... Do these scat push-ups? What? What the? I, I was worried about feeling stupid. No, so absolutely. Having a friend there helped ease that fear a little bit. Yeah. Plus, the trainer was great. Everybody was great. I really didn't have anything to be afraid of. Nobody, like, pointed a finger and laughed at you? No. They might have behind my sweaty back. <laughs> <laughs> but you didn't see it. No. Yeah. So having a friend was helpful uh, to get me over that fear. 
of going to the gym. And so that was kind of what, what started that. And then I had another friend who told me, hey, you should join the I, my fitness pal app there's lots of apps but yeah, an, love app, that. an app yeah. to track your food I have and that exercise app. you have that app? I don't use it but I've had it I have it on my phone okay and see I've tried food journals before and I've only lasted like two or three yeah. days I, I've gotten bored of it because I've done it like in a notebook mm-hmm. you know but adding the technology piece of it uh, was fun and easier I could scan things I was eating that was a little bit fun absolutely those apps can be social you can add lots of friends. I've chosen not to do that. There's enough places in life where people yeah. can interact, and I didn't really need feel the need to share that. But I have one friend. You have, is it that woman <laughs> that you share it with? It's another friend. Yeah. And um, it's helpful to just have one person because I really don't want that to take over my life of having to comment on right. everybody's wow. exercise diary. <laughs> wow. Way to eat broccoli. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But for some people, having it be a social thing is fun. But anyway, that's also been – part of it. And um, so I've lost in the past about 100 days. So about mid-November, I've lost 25 pounds. (gasps) That's amazing. And I'm no fitness model and I never will be. Yeah, but I didn't even sense you needed to lose it and yet you lose it. I see. That's like one of my chins, (laughs) 25 pounds. But it does, doesn't it? Isn't it amazing how it changes you? It does. It changes how I feel. I yeah. do feel like I, I look different in photos and things. I was hating photos of yeah, myself. Yeah, I do too, yeah. Um, but I'm I'm not hating it as much. It's not as bad, yeah. Not as horrible. And uh, I do, I feel better. I feel lighter. I've slept better. Have you? Um, yeah, and it's it's added other things to my life too. I'm drinking a lot more water. Yeah. I have some here with me today. And in fact, I think the first 10 pounds were basically me giving up uh, soda, yeah. switching to water. Because I had become, you know, all those things we have around here and around the country, those fun little drive throughs to get uh-huh. your overpriced right. drink. Yeah, you just got to get your drink and on. And the cookies look good. You may as well have a cookie because... <laughs> or two. You don't... <laughs> you want to try both. Yeah, you can't decide. It's how, it's how, it's, they kind of yeah. suck you in by just... You go there to get supposedly... A, a zero calorie drink, mm-hmm. but then the next thing you know, you've got two sugar cookies. Uh huh. And you've loaded it with coconut and all these things. Yeah. yeah. So I definitely joined that little trend yeah. last year. So giving that up and switching to water and being a little bit even aware. I think the first ten pounds were just that. We're yeah. just stopping being dumb. With, <laughs> it's like with those some are the dumb choices. easy pounds, <laughs> right? Right. Yeah, and so there have been – I mean, I am no expert here. You know, I don't have a degree No, you're in just health. a human being. I'm a human. You're like the rest of us. And I've lost weight a few different times. Yeah. So I had – I have five kids. My fifth kid was born when I was 37, so yeah. I was advanced maternal age, they say. <laughs> they say. And uh, it was really after she was born, not that I'm blaming her, that the pounds came on. Really? And, yeah. And so since she was born, I've – I've lost weight a few different times. I've gained about five pounds per kid. Okay. That sounds about right. Yeah. And, and the funny thing is- <laughs> Do you lose I did, it when they move out? No. I didn't carry one of the kids, so I have no excuse. <laughs> Sympathy weight. Yeah. I yeah. just- But it, it it is harder. And then- But you're busier. And mm-hmm. so- But you're saying, though, part of this is that you had you had to make an intentional choice that now is the time to get healthier and to, to do something different. Yeah. To make it a priority. Uh, because it does take time, and I get up earlier than sometimes I would want to, uh, but the payoffs are there, you know. Uh, but there have been some changes. One thing about our society is we use food as a reward. Oh, totally. For ourselves and for others, it's the easiest gift. Oh yeah, right. It's the gift that keeps giving. 
It does. You can think I've, about that gift for I've, months. I've heard your parents hips. yell, "Hey, son, if you hit uh, if you hit the ball, I'll give you. I'll take you to McDonald's." Oh, absolutely. And then the kids like whack. I've said those things. <laughs> And so, you know, thinking through that differently, not using food as a reward. Honestly, sometimes when I get my work done or I have a project I'm finishing, for my reward, I'll go on a walk. Yeah. And and I've started to crave that more and enjoy I that more. I love walking. I Except too. I fall a lot when I walk because I've got my Nana's ankles. But, um, <laughs> oh, dear. But, but isn't that a great thing? Because it does clear your mind mm-hmm. and you get away and, you know, people can't hound you while you're on a walk. You're like, hey, I was out. Sorry. I'm on a I walk. Out. I have one purpose right now. That's moving right. my feet. See, that's Moving good. Moving your frail ankles down that's the trail. Right. My dainty little <laughs> Nana's ankles. Do you, um, so is it the health regimen? Is it the diet change or is it like a, is it all of them coming together? So one of the things that I've kind of been frustrated with through the past few years of wanting to lose weight is everybody has a different idea of what yeah. you should do. Right. You know, some people oh, yeah. say we eat every two hours. Yeah. Or CrossFit. You got to do CrossFit. It's the thing. And they always yell at you like it. they're a general. CrossFit. <laughs> Yeah, I don't want anyone yelling at me. Um, and then other people will say only eat during an eight-hour period and then fast the rest. Yeah. There's all these plans oh, and the keto and the cleanse yeah. and you know the juice thing and all that. And I became overwhelmed with that. Like, is there not one right answer? Everybody's right. disagreeing with each other. What about little... moderation and mm-hmm. exercise and hydration? See, there you Seems go. Seems like that's the yeah. That's what the doctors tell you to do. And they are, they Eat are less, sensible. Exercise more and mm-hmm. drink more water. And that's really what it comes down to. I do think there are some consistencies among things that work. And one of them is decreased calories. Yeah. And, um, and then increased protein mm-hmm. is a commonality, increased water. And, and burning calories in some way, which walking burns more oh, yeah. calories than you totally. think. You know, and that's one of the things I like to track on. On I have a couple different apps, but I like to track that because when I put in my um, what I want to lose and my my weight and height and all of that, it tells me I get 1,200 calories a day. Yeah, wow. That makes me angry. Hold on. That's like a bird. <laughs> so No wonder there are angry birds. Yeah. It's hangry all the time. So I like to burn calories because then I can eat a little more because 1,200 isn't, isn't enough for me. No. No, no, no. no. Well, it, yeah, twelve hundred doesn't seem like a lot. No, it's not a lot. And men get more. You guys, you guys yeah, get but, so lucky. Well, but hold on, hold on. But we're bigger, and we got to move more. Yeah, and you don't have the hair and makeup issue. Oh, have you, you can... seen my back? <laughs> uh, no, I have not. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the worst line ever? <laughs> I really don't have a hairy back, but that's just a funny line. I believe. Um, but but you have hair. Yeah, you got to get. But but that, that that's the thing I was noticing though. But you you can you seem to be able. To make yourself even an average self like me, I could with makeup, I could look a little better. <laughs> and I, because I do wear makeup every Thursday, and I won't tell you why. Hmm. For today's TV. Thursday, today's TV. So okay. t- today I'll wear makeup later, and you actually do look a little you better. Cover some flaws, yeah. yeah. But see, a man can go exercise on his lunch hour, yeah. and recover quicker. Yeah. So. No, we could go shower. Yeah, we could just go mm-hmm. shower at a gym, and mm-hmm. you're good to go. Yeah, I think about the hair. <laughs> no, it's true. That's a, I never about, thought about you have that. Have to wash the yeah. hair. What's the status of the hair? Yeah, it's true. Yes, but you also, um, I, I just think it's it for a mother to do it. It's really hard too because you have. There's always these weird guilts that we all have. Like I should be with my kids more. Like really, mm-hmm. should I really out be out exercising? So you have to go do it so early that it's almost not healthy. 
<laughs> so you lose sleep. Not humane. Yeah. yeah, I get up at 4.30 on those two days that I go to the gym. I don't get up that early every day. When I go for walks, I invite my family. Oh, do you? They, that's, yeah. they don't often they don't, go. No, they don't. If the weather's bad, they're not interested. Yeah. That's, the dog will sometimes Yeah, go my wife me. invites me every day to go on a walk. And how often do you go? Uh, well, in the winter we don't go, but every we'd normally go every Sunday. We go on a mm-hmm. walk. Yeah, it's a perfect Sunday thing to do. Isn't that great? It is great. But now, how has it changed you as a mom, you as a wife, you as a publisher? So the first two weeks, I'll have to say, I was worse. Yeah, you were. A I was honored. I was sore. I was hungry. Isn't that funny how sore you get too? I didn't. Think I was of that. super sore at first. I'm not really sore anymore. Your body does get used to it, and that yeah. is one cool thing: is to watch your body's capacity increase. You know, first walking a mile might be hard, but then soon you can walk Mm -hmm. forever. And Same with running and same with lifting weights. And I think we can do that with our spirit and with our mind, too. We can increase our capacity. So I like seeing my body's capacity increase. So I love that. Anyway, as a mom, the first two weeks, super hard. Um, I don't think they were enjoying being around me. I wasn't enjoying being around me. No way, yeah. But I stuck through it. And now I feel like I'm in a, a better pattern. There are times I fix food for them that I don't eat. And, um, but you're stronger to not eat it now yeah, too, because your body's like, yeah, yeah, you're healthy. Let's I not have go there. made cookies and not eaten any. Really? Yeah, I didn't know that was possible, but I've done it. Well, if you ever need, you could always bring them by here. I, I mean, could. we always have people that will eat them. Mm, I would, could. But yeah. They could strengthen your ankles, perhaps. <laughs> not really. Yeah, but one hard thing is, um, I think to be a family member of someone who's on a health journey. Because uh, I'll say things to my family, you know, we'll go out to eat or something, and I'll say, don't let me eat any fries. And then if I eat a fry, and they tell me, you're not supposed to eat that, yeah. then I'm like, don't, don't no, tell me what yeah, to do. just shut your mouth. <laughs> I'm going to get on the treadmill later, okay? <laughs> then, we start, then we start a fight. <laughs> yeah. That's it, too, is and, and what about, like, people that, like, compel you to be, like, healthy, that are, like, forcing health upon you? I don't like that. That's not good. No. It's my choice. Yeah. Yeah. Let me die the way I want to die. Yeah, don't tell me. I am not drinking soda anymore. But there is something powerful when mom – if I quit buying soda like at dinner, my kids would just be humbled Mm. because I I actually – and it's expensive. I end up justifying everybody at the table to get a soda simply because I get a soda. <laughs> if I would just get water, everyone would get water. And you'd save thirteen ninety nine. Yeah, totally. So you know my family. I can do the math. You've I have done a similar this. family. So it's healthy, it's working, and then you're happier. I definitely feel happier. And it's been sort of fun to learn things, you know, because I'm tracking and technology is so awesome. I've learned things like I love things like Swedish fish and gummy bears I do too. and jelly bellies. They are high calorie. Yeah, they're like, just pure sugar, right? Yeah, and, and I never really paid attention to that as much yeah. anymore. And so I think there will probably come a time I don't track as closely and I might yeah. get sort of tired. But I've learned things that have been interesting for me. And You ought to try, when, a, you ought to try like a um, like Nutter Butters because that's peanut butter and it's just a really good peanut butter cookie. And that's got to be healthy because it's, it's got peanut butter in it. super healthy. And peanut butter is butter so butter fingers <laughs> have butter and fingers in it. Mm-hmm. Butter's dairy. Yeah. These are good health tips. Fingers See, just I'm gonna, body I'm going to fire my trainer. I've got you. Just try it. You have good ideas. <laughs> but you, you're getting – you're also then as – you're, as you get healthier, your willpower is stronger. You seem, yeah, more vibrant. Do you Have you noticed – does it create clarity in your head? Are you a better publisher? Are you a better writer? Uh, I think I have been able to focus more and stick to things more. I think last year I just kind of – I was dropping balls and – 
overeating, and that was kind of yeah. translating to all parts of my life, just kind of survival. And so having a regimen in one area has translated to others. I'm a little more organized with my yeah. time and, and how I want to spend my time, how I want to spend my calories and all of that. But I think it's really important to not get over-obsessed with it. Yeah, um, That is, I think, a problem in our in our culture is we get thinking that our weight and how we look is the most important thing. And it's definitely not. No. At a funeral, which we've talked about funerals yeah. twice today. I know. Sorry to be I'm, warm. No, I'm, no, I'm big into funerals yeah. today. Nobody talks about their weight at a funeral. Yeah. Nobody talks about grandma lost weight and she's right. so proud of her. It's about how you make people feel. So you do want to keep it in perspective. And be grateful for your body. You know, every day your body gets you through the day. Yeah. And you've walked up the stairs yeah. and you've taught a class or whatever it is you do. Your body helped you do that. Yeah. That's and, pretty awesome. Well, and a lot of us believe that you came to earth to get the body, right? Mm-hmm. And now we're here and we're like, eh, mine's yeah, I fat. I don't like it. I'm three pounds I've overweight. got cellulite. <laughs> but what I did notice is when you came up the stairs today, you didn't have to stop in the middle. Remember how you used to always stop in the middle and catch your breath? Uh-huh. And ask for one of those chair lifts yeah. up the rest of the thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, We didn't see? even let you know there was an elevator in the building. Yeah, so I next didn't... time you can do the elevator. Sweet. Yeah, I didn't know that. Jeanette Bennett's her name, and uh, 25 pounds lost is her game this week. That's right. As of this morning. That's amazing. See, this was my deadline to come talk about this. Again, you didn't didn't even sense there was a health crisis. (laughs) So you're amazing. Well, the lights are low in here. Yeah, (laughs) we always keep the lights dim. UtahValley360.com is her website. Go check it out. You'll see all of her wonderful publishing work there. And... uh, you got to follow her because she's and go Google her name and you can find her singing songs and she's a super talent. (laughs) Jeanette Bennett. Thanks. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. It's been fun. BYU Sports Nation is uh, going to be visiting with us in a few minutes, doing what we can to help you live longer. Welcome back, friends. Viva Las Vegas. Yes, it's that time to go visit our good buddies down at BYU Sports Nation. But they're way down now. They're down in uh, Las Vegas um, for the big tourney. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, Matthew. How you guys doing? Fantastic. It's 65 degrees. Oh, man. We'll be at some point today in Las Vegas. 65 degrees. Yeah. Yeah, it's still cold up here. Just so you know, slight inversion. Sorry. We were there yesterday. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you made the drive. Hey, or, so are you guys? Tuesday. Do you guys yeah. have anything fun on the on the docket? What are we? What I mean, other than the games? I mean, the games, you whatever. You already know the answer to that, Matt. I know. The you answer s- is no. Yeah. Because we're in here all day, and it's a fun time inside. Do you guys so take a ball there. to throw around or anything? Yes, literally. Yes, two we mitts, did. Two mitts and a ball. Yeah. Oh, do you? That's cool. I, I did. Brought both of the mitts out of my trunk, transferred them into uh, our university vehicle. Yes. And they are ready to roll. So you'll play. We get a few minutes today. You'll play. You'll play ball. How many? So you. But there's really. You don't cover all the games, do you? We cover twelve of the games. Everything ESPN does not. Are you serious? Twelve games. Oh, yeah. That's a good so we service. Four, four games today. Four games Friday. Two Saturday. Two Monday. Yep. Plus BYU uh, Sports Nation halftime shows. Shows between games within a session. Six of those. There's a lot going on. A lot of people down here working hard, man. Yeah, we're talking about uh, over 30 hours of live television coverage. Go. That is, I did not know that you were doing all of that. You guys are my heroes. 
Well, you've said that before, so now are we even more of your heroes? Yeah, you're even more of my heroes. <laughs> you used to just be my hero. Now you're really, 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 you're really my heroes. My hero. Like Enrique Iglesias saying about That is, um, was the drive okay? I can't imagine what it's like to be in a van with you guys. We stopped in St. George to speak with the BYU alumni group in southern Utah on Tuesday night. So we left Tuesday, spoke with them on Tuesday night, uh, stayed the night in St. George, and it... We were able to be apart from each other for not the entirety of the drive. Like, we, we could break it up a little bit, if you will. Yeah. It was okay. Holy cow. Holy even, cow. And even if we uh, didn't have to break up the drive, it would be okay. Yeah, it would. I mean, you guys got to stretch your legs. And while you're in St. George, you may as well, you know, get some sun. Yes. While you're at it. Hey, I had and to ask you, you guys, uh, if, are the Zags going to leave the WCC? San Diego Tribune article yes. from yesterday. Yes. An interesting idea. Now, now, we'll discuss this further on BYU Sports Nation, but okay, who? look at the source. Who's it from? Yeah. It's from a Mountain West Conference city. Who said it? Craig Thompson, the commissioner of the West uh, Mountain West Conference. Ooh. When was it said? On the eve of the West Coast Conference <gasps> tournament. So all of these things are, are uh, well thought out, well thought through, I think, right? Interesting, yeah. Now, now, the idea is intriguing to me. Years ago, a bunch of good basketball programs got together and they formed a conference and they became this big, unique thing. It was called the Big East. Could the Mountain West become this kind of men's basketball power? Well, it's an idea. The idea is intriguing to me. Is it, are there actually things in motion? I don't think so. Hmm. But the idea is intriguing to say the least. Yeah. What would it, and what would it do to BYU? Are you going to discuss that? Well, if, if Gonzaga goes, the article inferred that it would want to go with BYU. And there were five <sighs> other schools, mm-hmm. in addition to Gonzaga, but not BYU, that also have inquired from the Mountain West about conference expansion or realignment. <laughs> I would guess the Grand Canyon, New Mexico State, yeah. would be at least two of those other five. Hard to know who everyone is, but it'd be from the Big West the Big Sky or the West Coast Conference, you'd think. This is exciting. Okay. All right. What's on your show then? What are you going to be doing? Uh, You just brought it up, man. That's That's it. That'll be the first topic. What do we look forward to here at the West Coast Conference Tournament? BYU Athletic Director Tom Homo will join us. Sweet. There are 10 people who decide who plays in March Madness. Tom Homo is one of them. And has been for the last three years. He'll discuss the selection process with us coming up. Oh, cool. mentioned the aforementioned his reaction to that article. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's good. Perfect yeah. timing. It's also game day in Vegas for BYU women's basketball. They're playing a team they lost to twice this year, San Diego, to survive in advance. you got to go through the team that you couldn't beat in the regular season. Uh, so we'll talk to Jeff Judkins, the head coach, to preview the matchup. Sweet. Sweet. You guys, it's a good show. It's going to be – it's actually a killer show. Thank you. So uh, we wish you the best. Remember who you are. And please, please return with honor when you come back to BYU. Um, Boy, I didn't think of that work. They've got how many? Four games today that they have to cover. So they actually they're doing the commentary Uh for. I think they've got the whole all the crews down there, and they are they're doing the whole show for every everyone that's not covered by ESPN. BYU Broadcasting is covering it. 
If you hear any casino sounds in the background, though, no. I, they're, I would they're at an be arena. Very they, wary. Yeah, I don't think. I think they're just at an arena that they just have to stay there all day and stand on their feet. <sighs> That's hard. That's a hard day. Have you been to Have you been to a trade show lately? I went to a trade last, show last week, and it was the a last lot of work. trade show I went to was a pet food trade show when I worked for an organic chicken farmer. Really? Yeah. But see, so going to like this event, uh, this type of tournament reminds me of a trade show. You just Everyone kind of stands around. They do their deal. But you stand around. You do your deal. And you always have to walk on the hard cement and in these shows. And uh, it's a lot of work. But you know what? That's cool. They also – this is going to this, – this always stretches our skills and our tools. But BYU Broadcasting, folks – that's cool. Doing it for you. Bringing the WCC tournament to uh, everybody. Hey, as you know, we always like to end up with a hero story. Today's hero is a fifth grader that saves his choking friend. A Virginia fifth grader has been hailed as a hero for jumping into action when he saw a classmate choking at lunch. She was starting to turn colors and gasping for breath. I wasn't really calm. My heart was racing. I just knew I had to help her, said Benjamin Ford. Though he was nervous, school officials said the fourth grader or the fifth grader had all the right moves. Benjamin said he knew what to do because he relied on information that he learned in a documentary a few years ago that he had watched. Ben was recognized by Greenwood Elementary School administrators who shared the story of his heroic intervention with the entire school. His parents said that they were super proud of how quickly he acted and are thankful he remembered the documentary. I felt like I had to hurry up and get to her, uh, Benjamin said. I thought in a couple more seconds she might not make it. I got a lot of claps and I had a lot of fist bumps and they were really supportive when I walked down the hall, Benjamin said. So uh, parents are proud. The, his fellow classmates alive and doing well. And Benjamin got a big thank you and a hug from his friends. He said his parents also picked him up the next day and let him pick out a video game and go to the Black Panther movie. So it was all good for Benjamin Ford. Congrats, Benjamin. You are the hero of the day on the Matt Townsend Show. And again, that's uh, that's the show, my friends. That's why we're here, to help you realize there is a lot of good stuff going on out there. By the way, you're part of that good as well. And let's uh, let's just keep taking care of each other and lifting the world together. If we do it together, it's not such heavy work. Uh, that's the show for us. We'll be back again tomorrow. But BYU Sports Nation from Las Vegas, it's up next. 